tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call, and Ali is producing today. Coming up on the show, Johnny Luby will join me in just a few moments' time. We'll be speaking to Matty McGrath as well in studio. The census shows a drop in the number of people identifying as Catholic in Ireland. We'll chat about that as well. There's some road issues in Golden. We'll have farming news with Katrina. And Feathered plays host to a lip-sync battle for a great cause. So we'll uh, chat about that as well. Needless to say, it being Friday, we have our Friday panel to unpack the big topics of the week, including those changes proposed for refugee accommodation. We'll chat about unaccompanied drivers and the latest mass shooting in the United States. We'll also uh, cover the traditions around Halloween. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Daily Mail, they're leading with the story that strict new rules mean that Ukrainian refugees who want to go home for Christmas or even travel within Ireland face losing their state-provided accommodation. Now, the new regulations introduced this month have reduced the length of time that Ukrainians can leave their accommodation for from seven days to zero. And the shift in policy, which applies to both national and international travel, is the first in a series of upcoming measures aimed at making Ireland less appealing to those fleeing the war in Ukraine. That's according to the Daily Mail, to the Irish Times... And their lead story, EU leaders last night agreed on a call for pauses in the uh, conflict in Gaza to allow aid into the beleaguered enclave. Now, it's interesting because semantics at play here, um, they're using the word deliberately pauses as opposed to uh, ceasefire. So there you go. You can make what you will of that. Also on the Irish Times today, a new state-of-the-art flood forecasting system has been delayed because of difficulties in sourcing expert staff. It has emerged. The Irish Independent, their lead story, first-time buyers are now dominating the mortgage market, but interest rate rises are starting to squeeze them. Almost 500 first-time buyer mortgages are now being drawn down every single week, and uh, the number of new buyers taking on mortgages is at its highest level since 2007, when the Celtic Tiger uh, was in full roaring form. Uh, finally, a look at the Irish Examiner. And uh, their main story, uh, a probe into malicious guarded texts, uh, the widespread circulation of false, inappropriate, unacceptable and malicious WhatsApp messages about two serving female guardy from fellow members uh, is being investigated, senior management has confirmed. Also on the examiner uh, today, uh, the death toll on the nation's roads so far this year has matched the total for all of 2022, prompting appeals for the urgent introduction of tougher penalties and more guardie on the roads. And of course, we spoke to Superintendent uh, Eddie Golden about that on the programme yesterday. And finally, another story on the examiner today, the deaths uh, this week of one of the key figures in Limerick's notorious feud 
comes at a time when there's been a renewed focus on violence in some parts of the city. So that's a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to comment on any of that, once again, it's 083 We have a great prize for you as well. And I'll tell you about that a little later on because right now it's time for Johnny Luby. Good morning, Johnny. Fine. How's it going, mate? Ah, it's going well. Johnny, I was so sorry to hear yesterday about the death of my old friend, Osti Crow. You would have known Osti very well, Johnny. That's right, Jeff. And I suppose for a long, long number of years, you know, when word filtered through the area that Osti Crow was after passing away, yeah. uh, uh, look, our minds wandered back to wonderful times that we all had in the uh, Dundrum House Hotel back mm. through the years, and indeed above in the Golden Vale as well. I mean, he was a, 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 a tremendous man in every way and a wonderful employer and a great for man sure. for for the area of getting people out uh, to dancing above in the Golden Vale and to dinner dances in Dundrum House Hotel, whether it was for Sean Tracy's GA Club or Cap White or in the county or Golden, and indeed all the parishes around Clonorty, Ross Moore, I suppose they couldn't uh, uh, do anything, only just everything after matches and dinner dances and like all the other clubs, uh, everybody used the uh, Dundrum House Hotel, where, uh, like all the hotels in Tipperary, but Osby Crows was exceptional, the food was top mm, class, you know. Absolutely brilliant, that, yeah. Brilliant, uh, un- yeah. Unbelievable, you know, and uh, as I said, look, <laughs> going to matches with Tipperary playing there himself and Father Jim Egan and Peter Sullivan, they always had their own four or five going after the matches. And Asti was a great singer himself. Oh, the best. Oh, the best. Oh, uh, the, best. Pop, the, you know, the, the old he, bog road. He'd, he'd, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful <laughs> job of that. And sleeve them on, needless to say, as well, yeah. You know, and I say, friend, uh, all the music uh, people there from uh, uh, Larry Cunningham and Brendan Byer and the whole lot, we attended there and done drumming, of course. Then we weren't happy with that. We had to go straight across the road to Dennis Fitzgerald with the chipper van at 3 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. And I didn't matter yeah. if there was grease flowing out Not of the chips and the bag and everything yeah. else. Hey. Yeah. What wonderful memories we had of nice. uh, Don Drum in those oh, times. fantastic. And I was so right. fond of my very first gig, would you believe, was in, in the Golden Vale all those years ago. So, I mean, you're right. He looked after local people in a fantastic way. And so many oh, young kids went through college with financial help from the coast right, because yeah. they they got they got the job there the summer jobs and all of that you know that's so, right Jeff yeah. and then the golf course came on board oh, and yeah. Willie yeah. the son and the Seamus and and the girls uh, were all part Deirdre of that, uh, yeah. that Deirdre as well like mm-hmm. Deirdre now is the girl that's running the Anor Hotel for weddings and all of that you know yeah. so yeah. look it, it just continues on but our sympathies uh, are with them and of course we must remember Jack Crow as well at of this course, time yeah. a, a landmark in, in Dundrum you know that's, that's uh, for sure so Condolences to Mary and to, to all of the family in the family. And yeah. of course, Jerry Moynihan as well, Johnny. That's right, yeah. Another landmark in Clanmel, right across the road there from Jerry Chalks. And I suppose when Jerry's closed down, where it was the Moynihan's, we would go and, and I brought it in on my travel around the, uh, the, the watering holes of Tipperary. You're always well received there. Uh, and that was a great sporting pub for the greyhounds and the horses and uh, the, the camaraderie and the crack and everything else and, and uh, he was a great man to tell stories and people that were in and everything mm-hmm. else. They have wonderful forces up there on the walls in Minahan's pub in Clanmel and our thoughts and sympathies uh, with uh, the Minahan family. My wife used to work in the bank when I said to her, Jerry Minahan, uh, 
uh, passed away. She said, an absolute gentleman to deal with there in the permanent TSB it was at the time, years ago, till the Cork Savings Bank. But uh, look, our thoughts are, and sympathies are to them as well, and also to the Corvan family in Gordon on the death of uh, Nancy Corvan. She was 102 years of oh, age, uh, the mm. mother of John Seamus, Mary, and uh, Anne and Ray, the lovely family. Her, uh, her husband, John, died a few years ago. He used to drive the lorry in Malumbi's, the Creamery Yard in Golden for years when they owned it. That, and uh, Michael Fitzgerald's mum would be one of those Malumbi's. Mm. And uh, they were great employers as well. And John then went driving lorries for the the Dundrum Steel and very much they're involved in Golden GA Club I suppose for the best part of a hundred years and uh, our sympathies to the Corvan family as well indeed young John Corvan uh, Fran, I don't think there's a club out there that hasn't rang him to know could they use the Golden Field and he has never failed to only to come up trumps, uh, and that's all our sympathies to the Cor- to the Corvan family uh, on the death of uh, Nancy Corvan, and to, indeed to all the, the extended family as well. And yeah, look, yeah. Frank, t- sad times around. Uh, sad, sad uh, times, time. you know. Yeah. I mean, 102, yeah. Frank. Oh, so, I somebody yeah. said to me, "Will you see it?" I said, "If there's a bus leaving Golden for Dublin with 102 <laughs> on it, that's about the only way I'll ever see uh, 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 102." But uh, when I say you yeah, love us all, Johnny, that's 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 uh, for sure. You, <laughs> I, mean, you I, mentioned I, you mentioned the Anor Hotel in passing there. Of course, we were there in great style on on, on Tuesday with the, the Tip FM Awards. That's right, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a wonderful night. Uh, you know, uh, there and to see all the uh, businesses well represented with fantastic looking girls and boys and they all dressed in the hilt and they certainly enjoyed the night uh, and that fair play to everybody uh, who was uh, names uh, were in it and uh, those that didn't but were also part of the, the business uh, of for the Tip yes. FM Awards night you know, uh, even though a lot of us who enjoy a pint were very disappointed on the night to see Johnny Luby drinking a spritzer for God's sake that's right Jeff and I love that spritzer. in Portugal I found out that the wine uh, uh, kind of uh, when you the wine is fine but because when you go from the fresh air the fresh air would <laughs> shag you up you know but in Portugal I love that if you put uh, the soda water uh, into the wine you know that uh, you could have a, a couple of more shots of it but uh, look hey and the Food was absolutely superb, you know. Yeah. Uh, I actually uh, that red sauce or whatever it is with them spring rolls. Hey, it was beautiful altogether. And then friend to capsize the whole lot. What did we have? Them chocolate balls. Oh, oh did you? What you see, I, I got nothing because I was busy, of course, but you you were down <laughs> looking after yourself. A <laughs> I was, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, friend, and indeed, I must say, you're looking well on the night. You're after, genuinely, I'd be the first man to say if you put on a kilo, you're after losing weight, man. <laughs> I don't believe you were saying this. After I'm all the fat you. shaming you've done uh, over yeah, the years to but, me. Uh, uh, it's like everything else, say... Uh, Look, it was a, a wonderful night, and of course That's you had right. Dan and Hazel Quirkdale, uh, and that. Uh, oh, yeah. What uh, a family! What found, a family! For the found, uh, foundation of, of uh, Dylan Quirk Foundation, yeah. and I just shook hands with Dan afterwards. I said, "Yeah, some parents." I yeah. said, "The way you can go through all of this," and Dan is a, a, a fine speaker and well able to get across uh, uh, his message uh, and all of that. Now, look, every time I see Dan, we always think of and Dan and Hazel. We always think of uh, uh, Dylan, the Lord of Mercy, on him and the Red Hill. 
helmet and everything else. But uh, look, it was a wonderful night, friend, in every way. And fair play to Tip FM. There was people there actually for the first time ever in the Anna Hotel and never realised that it was such a fine uh, uh, hotel. You know, so it was grand to hear that, you know. Yeah, and, and it looked it, gorgeous on the night with the, that beautiful white furniture that I think is new and all. That's it really right, looked, yeah. looked uh, just gorgeous. And, uh, and of course, their barman got the Barman of the Year Award uh, there. Uh, I see a thing up on the wall there as well. So fair play to them. You know, it's 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 a tremendous uh, facility for the people of Tullus and surrounding areas for births, deaths, marriages, you name it, uh, to go and celebrate or to go and have food there or whatever the case may be. Great place there. Just well, I, I've it. often it's had had the lunch there and I would highly recommend it. And the gravy is to die for. But anyway, there you go. G- <laughs> GAA, Johnny, where, where, where are right. we? Hey, Jeff, yeah. and uh, we must heartily congratulate commercials on their victory yeah. in the county final over J.K. Brackens. I suppose that uh, the Jules uh, status club like uh, J.K. Brackens, the week before they'd been training like hell to uh, take on their neighbours, uh, Upper Church Drumban in the relegation battle. And of course, when they won that then, and uh, naturally they probably went for an old drink or two. What could else did they do? Only that they stayed up senior and well done to them for that. But then they had to change immediately and go training for football uh, the following Sunday which was last Sunday against the commercial so it's very hard to build yourself up to win that uh, battle and to stay up senior hurling and then turn around a week later and hope to beat take on the might of commercials who are a fantastic outfit and well done to them and of course Grange Mokler and Nahalo drew in the county intermediate that game's go, go, game goes on ahead uh, in uh, Alfinan again that was a fine game of football golden defeat Clan Melogue in the relegation battle in, in intermediate football commiserations to Clan Melog they were well represented the other night uh, at the awards and uh, well done to Golden Kilpeakel of course Laura Dora beat the Southies in the Premier Intermediate Final only by a pint but a pint is a pint and there was the difference at the end of the day and well done to Laura Dora hopefully they'll uh, uh, keep their, themselves uh, going well in the Munster Championship and all of that and the best of luck to them in the county senior hurling uh, Gelty Robe and uh, had a marvellous victory in the minor football final against Fedot, who was celebrating at last Sunday their 25th anniversary of uh, winning the county senior football final in Semple Stadium. And of course, an old club of great friends of mine, and I certainly love to go up to that neck of the woods on the hills around Sean Tracy's and Kilcommon and the Rising Sun and the Congo and McCormick's and every place else. They celebrated in style. They won the county junior A football for the first time, so well done to the lads from the, the Blue and Gold. Commiserations, of course, to uh, Clonalty Ross Moore for the fourth time in a row. They were beaten uh, by uh, Drum and Inch, only a pint separated. Those magnificent girls uh, in the county uh, senior Camogie final. And look, uh, one would have to take the hats off to uh, Drum and Inch for staying there at the top. To win one is magnificent, but to do four in a row, it's brilliant. brilliant. And of course, friend, this weekend we have the World Cup in final in the rugby. It's going to be a tremendous game between the All Blacks and uh, South Africa. South Africa are the slight outsiders. I would fancy them to win this particular competition. Would you? Would you? Yeah. I would, oh, yeah, friend. Yeah. The amazing thing about South Africa is, is that... Uh, Imagine they won the World Cup semi-final against England and the scrum half and out half last weekend. They're not even on the panel this weekend, which is uh, uh, absolutely amazing. They have went... uh, The boat teams in the World Cup are allowed eight uh, subs Mm. and um, 
the amazing thing about South Africa is, is that they have seven, they went for seven forwards on the subs bench, so they're definitely going to make it a forward battle. Uh, it should be a tremendous game of rugby, and uh, of course, uh, we had uh, wins locally then for Nina and Cashel in the senior rugby club. Mel were beaten by a couple of points, and a win for Kilfiekel, Tullis, uh, who are going very well this year, were beaten by uh, Mallow, but they'll get their ship back on the road very quickly. And I suppose, friend, to finish up our thoughts on Ireland and Johnny Sexton just in mm. the World Cup mm. uh, I suppose when you look back in hindsight we probably should have made a couple of changes here and there but they're the guys that got us that far and I think we're going to find it very hard to, it was a brilliant team from Ireland that we sent out to the World Cup and look, maybe Lady Look, maybe the look of the draw, maybe the grading system uh, we could have got further and should have got further but that's for another uh, day. Yeah, because uh, most, most people I mean, when you consider how far England got and, you know Yeah, well that was, the, that was down to the draw friend. Yeah, you know, England yeah. had played nobody up to that but the other night, like, they did bring their own uh, game to mm. that particular game by uh, uh, Gary Owens all day long and look it might have been the most brilliant of games to watch but nevertheless that was their game plan and they really upset South Africa for a long time that was that Schneiden guy he actually got four caps I think I don't know Klein has got some one of the two anyway they played with Munster well the two of them played with Munster but one of them actually won four caps for Ireland and uh, here he is playing in a World Cup final for South Africa so uh, it could be the first man to have won uh, uh, four caps with, 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 uh, with Ireland and go on to win a, to World, win Cup. a World Cup. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't, and wouldn't that, be so, fantastic, yeah. Yeah, Fran, I was in the place last night they were asking for you in Dinny Leahy's pub in Tipperary Town. Uh, what, a, what a pub. And well, what Frank, a publican you know what to- as well, of course. Yeah, you know what he told me? What did he tell you? What did he <laughs> <laughs> Now he realises it. Since he gave up, he says, politics, he has become more popular than ever. <laughs> he says, you, you can't be popular, he says, when you're a counsellor or whatever the case may be. Well, he was a very but good, good counsellor, in fairness to Dean. Oh, hey, tops, tops, tops. I yeah. met two girls there last night from uh, Brookville Avenue to Prairie Town, uh, Betty and Pauline. They were in at an Irish night that was there held by Helen Morrissey where they do traditional music and mm. all of that. But we called them the Golden Girls. So that was Betty and Pauline and of course into the Bergen friend uh, you have the Tullus Greyhound Stadium tomorrow night celebrating the 75th anniversary music as after racing by Sweet Freedom it promises to be a wonderful night 75 years in existence Tullus Greyhound Stadium and I suppose clubs and uh, uh, other organisations that have held charity nights in the likes of Tullus or Clanmel back through the years, I would say over well over two million was raised uh, in charity nights uh, wow. at the Greyhound Stadium. So that's uh, seven o'clock tomorrow night. The doors open. So the best of luck to them. Uh, I suppose uh, it's, it's like everything else, friend. You are talking during the week about leaving for Australia. Mm. It is certainly uh, uh, hard on parents to see a youngster oh, going off. You know, terrible. our Powerful. A few years ago, Gerard, uh, he announced uh, after doing the leave, no, after finishing in uh, UL as a secondary teacher, because he was taking a year, a year out, if you don't mind. So off he sailed, uh, off he set sail for uh, New Zealand. 
and uh, he'd done the North Islands and the South Islands and met a few lads over there and uh, and imagine they could hire they could buy a, they bought a car there for a hundred New Zealand dollars are you serious yeah <laughs> <laughs> that must have been some I, car Johnny <laughs> I said to Gerald I said what the insurance I said with no insurance and the, the, the fine roads out there and I said what did you do uh, uh, with it eventually he said uh, we drove it to the airport abandoned them there he said and just left it and he I only found it amazing what you find out about the youngsters, but my heart was in my mouth when I heard this bloody story coming out. But I suppose, friend, the refugee crisis has certainly taken a new role now. You know, Matty McGrath will be on later. He was one of the first I heard saying, friend, and you heard him saying it yourself, that when it cost 20 or 25,000, that we should take a poll, have a look at all our systems in education, health and employment and housing especially and all of that. And nobody would listen to him above in the government because they all... any, anybody who voiced those opinions were described as being racist well, and right wing and, Fran, and all of and, that, yeah? Yeah, Fran, and you had government representatives coming on telling us that we had to do it with humanity yeah. and human uh, thing and all that thing, and which we had. Yeah. But now they've gone back with rules, laws and regulations and the whole lot. I mean, putting the misfortunate refugees into tents uh, doesn't stand up and wouldn't stand up in any court in Europe in Europe. Yeah. You just can't treat people like that. And, like, I suppose then everybody sees it. Like, you have the, the on the prime time and all of that. I only looked at it the other night there. We'll say uh, somebody gets 220 euro a week here in Ireland and out mm. in Romania or someplace it's 7 euro and 80 cent. And I'm not for a minute say that they're coming here to Ireland for the 220, indeed or not. But it's like everything else. You mm. can ask Matty uh, when he's on to, to know, we'll just say, do we get refunded by that from Europe? No, no, we don't. No, we well, don't. are we not taking them, uh, 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 we'll just say, from uh, uh, the Ukraine or any other place uh, and that? And I honestly thought, friend, it is a while ago since I said it on, on Tip FM, that if you're coming from Saigon hmm. uh, to Ireland, uh, that you actually uh, get the same rate as they do in Saigon. And if it's 300 a week, so be it. If it's 30 a week, so be it. You, you, you give back, uh, you give exactly yeah. what they were giving. But you see, what, the what, they'll, what they'll tell you about that is you have to take into account the, the cost of living in the particular country you're in as well. So it's, well, it's I kind know, of, friend, you look, know, welfare hey, systems are kind of diverse. And, I'll know. tell you, look, it is going to be a, a, a huge thing. And is your young man off to Australia or uh, gone to he's, Australia? He's gone since last week, Johnny. Sure, my heart is broken over it. But you're, you know, oh, would, yes, yeah, I have no it, doubt so. about it. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that you'd miss him walking around the house and oh, all that. But I suppose with the modernology of telephones and everything else, you I can know. actually Snapchat yeah. him or YouTube him or Skype him or do whatever it is that you can actually see him in front. But of sure, I, I, I was wh- I was whinging about it, Johnny, and I was crying about it until I met poor old Dan Quirk, and I said, like, there, there's a man now with real reason to, to you know. <laughs> that, to, that's right, yeah, Dan. Or, uh, uh, friend, it brings it all back it into proper perspective, you know. Uh, the Ash- imagine, friend, the National Airways, and guys on 350,000 a year and the whole lot. Yeah. They were done the other day for 10 minutes how to make a proper cup of tea. Do you hear such <laughs> bullshit or such baloney in your life? I mean, if they were here in my house, friend, this is gospel truth, I can tell you anything because she's gone off to mess. <laughs> I put three tea bags into a cup. Into, into a cup? Into a cup, friend, yes. And, I'm, and I'm, as I'm talking to you now, I have three tea bags floating around and I dog them with a spoon and the whole lot. He's actually like Porter. 
<laughs> you could trot a mouse on it, as they say. Yeah, because absolutely, but now you could trot a mouse on it, you know. Yeah. And then somebody else was on how to make a proper sandwich. Did you ever hear such bullshit in all your life? Friend, you know what I do? What, what I get my do? slice of ham, my, my bit of cheese, I put mustard on the ham, I comes on and I get lettuce, I put mayo on that. And, friend, I put a bit of an onion. Well, an onion. Uh, we used to call them ingans. Uh, I sliced it up into really small tidbits and put it into the sandwich. And then, friend, I looked for the first thing. It might be zero uh, Heineken, or it could be a glass of milk, or it could be a pint of water. And, friend, and wash it all down then right. with a glass of Andrew's liver sauce for <laughs> You probably <laughs> need it after the ingans, I would imagine. But uh, And did you contribute to the national radio uh, programme that your man is being paid so much money I didn't, for? Friend, I didn't, I texted in. What a load of bull. You're all claiming money on the... Anyway, come here a minute. Is this? I was in Jackie O'Brien's then on, on Monday night, and Rose was in there. That's another well-known landmark in Tipperary Town. Uh, and uh, we, had, uh, we had a kind of a board meeting in there from the rugby club, so yeah. I was just there having a chat Great with them. Uh, Danny Lamb is 50 and he's on in the Bridge House, and the best of luck to him. Uh, Tullus races on next Thursday, the 2nd of the 11th, and uh, Clamell the following Thursday, the 9th of the 11th. But yesterday, Clamell went ahead. Fair play to the ground staff, Tom and all these people there, that they were able to go through the ground after the desperate week we're after having. Uh, uh, unbelievable. And uh, uh, as I said, Tullus is next Thursday, friend. To me, it's it's my track, really. I love the bloody place and the crowd that's going there and that, that they're all great people and Maloney's run right. a tremendous show there. And uh, for mentioning Maloney's, uh, I met a fella there at, uh, at uh, in Simple Stadium in Tullus there a week mm. ago for the county uh, uh, finals. Uh, uh, oh, Christ, what's his name at all? PJ Maloney. Yes. Where's you PJ from? Epinuin. Well, d- yes, I bought, bought I bought the ticket for for the for the for the Volkswagen. Yes, when yeah. is that draw? By the way, that draw is on in a week's time. I think the closing date is maybe uh, uh, over the weekend. Hey, it's for tremendous facilities which they will have. Please God, in Rockwell Rovers and many of our clubs out there, whether you're from Care or Ballypatrick, Kilsheel, and whatever the case may be, you could do often uh, put in your club's uh, thing for twenty five euro. It's a Volkswagen ID four and uh, Rockwell Rovers. Yeah. GA yeah. club friend and that uh, because uh, you give him you give uh, Bosco we call him that's his pet name we give Bosco uh, you give Bosco the 25 euro he said and you went off talking to two lovely girls from Rockwell Rovers I, d- I did uh, indeed and delighted I was to do so but you know the guys <laughs> thing about it I, I said to PJ um, he, he he said to me about the tickets and I said sure jeez I, I have no cash on me don't worry about that he said and he produces one of these machines that you tap and he outside the garage I'll tell you <laughs> I uh, find you slipped up right. You should have given them a check. And if you don't win, bounce the bloody thing. That's what I'd be doing. But anyway, Is that what you do, hey, yeah. we, we all have to log into the Rockwell Rovers lads, and support them whatever way we can. I definitely have to say hello to uh, Diana Crossy from Ballyporine. Seemingly, I'm told, confidentially again, that she's my biggest follower. Uh, best wishes to Betty Cooney, a sister of Tony. She's Betty Kennedy. Her husband was the late Willie Kennedy, a fine counselor in North Tipperary. Uh, good old friend, Betty. Uh, Betty Coney and the best of luck uh, uh, to Betty. Actually, their pub is the, uh, their pub is called the shop. It's up someplace near Temple Derry, off in that general direction. And oh. I'm getting a lift up there some night. So, friend. Uh, finally, friend, the South Tip Hospice coffee morning. I think it's done about two weeks ago. Imagine a small parish like Golden Kilfeek. We raised two thousand one hundred and five euro. 
Uh, absolutely play. fantastic. Look, thanks to the Golden GA Club, Golden Kilfetal GA Club, they have a tremendous haul, the young facilities you often were in it. But uh, sincere thanks to the girls who turned up on the morning with only a phone call the night before to know they give us a hand raising a few pounds. For, and to everybody out there, you've the shops in Cashel and Golden, the butcher stall in Golden, they all give an old voucher and wear the raffles and things like that. And uh, imagine Mr. Lowry came out and won a bloody bottle of brandy. Of course he did. Of course he did. Did he give it to you? <laughs> I hope he gave it to you. He? <laughs> he says to me, he says to me to hold on to it, uh, Matty had the coffee morning that morning in care. Normally he's a great supporter right. uh, of the, yeah. uh, of all the hospices morning. I will say that it's not because he's on now, but... Yeah. Uh, so friendly, well, yeah, I, I have a couple of corrections as usual after a piece with Johnny Lubin. There's always fellas out here, women that are meant to correct me. Johnny says that Laura didn't win the intermediate, they won the premier intermediate, and there's a big difference, Johnny, it says here. Oh. So, so there you oh, go. Oh, please, yeah. They're, and they're trying to drive in the nails into us now because we're only intermediate <laughs> in gold. I know And, and seemingly Drum won five in a row. Just, just, uh, And it says here as well that Johnny forgot Shannon Rovers winning the intermediate uh, Camogie Championship last I got friends. Well. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted. Listen to me. One of them golden girls last night, our ladies, uh, uh, Betty or Pauline, she says, I listen to you every morning. She says, as a matter of fact, I told some shop in Tip Town that uh, I have Johnny Luby in bed every Friday. Every Friday. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, Johnny, and look after yourself and I'd say hello to Matthew for here. you. Just to finish, Andrew yes. Luby. Yeah. Uh, uh, Catherine brings him into bed, of course, at 7 o'clock in the morning. And Andrew says to me, he says, uh, uh, night, he said, Johnny, I was trying to Google you. I said, I was trying to Google the wife. I said, she beside me. I said, and you in between us. <laughs> so, friend, you can't win. But where are you playing at the weekend? You can't week win. And I make I, a I'm up in the, well, I'm, I, I don't know where I'm down in Wexford or somewhere tonight. But I'm in uh, the Round Hill Bar up near um, uh, Bird Hill there. Sir? Board Hill. I was there at an old county board draw and didn't I say to Timmy Fly the other day and he said if we want to stay he said well, we can't stay with him. <laughs> <laughs> well Pat and the Round Hill might look after us uh, on Saturday night. You never, you never I, know, uh, I, I, hey, yeah. I'll try and get up to I, I have a savage weekend lined up so I'll, I'll, or finally Eddie Golden was dead right of Superintendent Golden when he yes. just said lads everybody mind themselves this Johnny, I have to go because I have to make time for Matty. So right, <laughs> look after right, yourself. Right. I'll talk to you soon, Johnny. Bye bye to you now. That's the great uh, Johnny Luby. Tell Johnny it's Mike Lamb is 50, not Danny Lamb. Okay. Uh, Johnny forgot to mention the jewel in the crown, which is Kennedy's pub in Rear Cross, and that's according to uh, John. And uh, Mary, my friend Mary Lynch, on as well to say, I'm a tea lover, but Johnny Luby, three bags in a cup, it would nearly turn me off, says Mary. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie At Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Joined now by Deputy Matty McGrath. Matty, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And before we start, Matty, I know you want to pay condolences uh, to the Crow family and to the Moynihan family as well. I do indeed. Both, uh, you know, wonderful gentlemen, yeah. good businessmen, but in Oxy's case, it's so far seeing ahead, and like, the last time I probably met him was outside the 
gates of the church in Villa. Mm. looking across at the big field there at school more owners now but he said it's proud there the other day in a couple of hours he said we get three weeks pound driver horses back in the in the, in the 50s so like a powerful age but his legacy stands in Austria and in Dundrum House and other than, as well as that, he was also on on, on board Falta, the board on there, and he very, he very... Was, of course, I'm glad you reminded me of that. He was, of course, and a very powerful member of the... Of and played a huge... Yeah. Uh, and I was at different meetings when I was a young county councillor, and the wisdom and the advice I got from Ashley, uh, and always, up to up to a couple of years ago when I left, when he kind of went out of circulation, was always very, very, um, you know, sound and, and decent and, and very honest. And he was very, very... Uh, Because, it, you know, he was so instrumental in, in, in youngsters being able to afford to go to college by giving them work there, uh, Matthew. You know? Look, he came up at the time with, with, with difficult education. And so Jack used to be talking about Lord and Beat in, 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 in the station and drum, you know, council meetings. Yeah. And we thought he was he was raving. But no, that was the way it was. He was like then set up different businesses. And whatever he touched, it might have touched. Mm. He was very, very successful. And a Britain man at work himself, like when he... I think his recreation, if he had any, was chemical, but he loved to be doing a bit of stone himself, building a wall or something like mm. that. He just had that from, I suppose, his beginning. Mm. But it looks um, near and ahead on the reef, definitely mm. for, for Austria, and he's with Jack down, I'm sure, raising his glass uh, and singing singing one of those beautiful songs, Steve Demon or whatever. He was a beautiful, beautiful singer. And that time, Noreen used to be at reception, you know, Jack. Yes, of wife, course, yeah. And mm. with, look, we were always well entertained and well looked after in Dundrum House. Coming on to Jerry Jeremiah, again, a consummate publican, you know, mm. real a decent man, great fit man out in his uh, uh, cycling. But um, I remember meeting him once in, in the Doll restaurant. He was up with the late old Avon and a gang of government. A very hard working and decent family look, and the many, many events that he run just a fine, fine uh, premises, very well ran, and table quizzes, and God knows what's mm. held their fundraising. And they have the function room in the back. So, look, I hope that business government's interested. For sure. A strange turnaround, Matty, from the government. They're now looking at possible cuts to welfare payments to Ukrainian refugees and limited accommodation. Of course, people like yourself who brought this up a long time ago were branded as all sorts of things. But let's just remind us ourselves for one moment what Leo Varadkar said about this in the dawn this week. Just one moment. I think when we look back on this period of history, being a small country that took in uh, 100,000 Ukrainians is something that we should be proud of uh, and will be proud of. Um, but uh, what I, what is becoming increasingly apparent to everyone, if it isn't the case, uh, has been the case for a long time, is that while uh, there is no limit on the compassion of the Irish government and the Irish people, uh, there is a limit on our capacity, uh, and we're very much at that at the moment, and we just don't know uh, whether we'd be in a position to provide accommodation and all those additional supports for another 30 to 50,000 people uh, if that number arrived. Uh, over the course of the next year and based on current numbers uh, it wouldn't be far off that and we just don't know if we're able to provide uh, that level uh, of accommodation. What are you making of that Matty? 
I'm making this election coming, locals and Europeans. I'm making that it's finally waking up. Look, we don't, the word compassion is being used. We all have compassion and for the terrible, atrocious war. But I mean, we just went wild. And I, if everybody says the stat, who do we give it to, to, to handle? The Red Cross. Didn't we give it to Roger Cochran's department? He was snowed under. Limited staff and snowed under. And he, you remember, sent out tweets, I think, in seven, eight different languages, tell people come to this country, they're all welcome. So that's what started the tourism part of it, which is happening now. That's why they're changing now, because they've been taught, or they know from their colleagues, that people are leaving other countries because they're coming here, mm. because of better payments and better whatever else. And I had you. Uh, given the payments yesterday morning. And look, I met a lovely Ukrainian in, in Eastern Even gentleman, very poor English in, 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 out in the halfway bar in this Rona. And, you know, staying there and being looked after by the locals and well integrated and having a pint with the lads, mm. you know, and enjoying yeah. the crack. Yeah. And they tried to teach them a bit of English. So the services are overwhelmed, have been overwhelmed. So to never do, but I, I'm, I'm going to get Shannon Coe, which is a senator, at the door yesterday morning, I say two weeks. Because I was talking to her, I might do it afterwards in the Dark Cafe, mm. and she had said this to the Brad Craig was in there. And he kind of quipped that there could be a million coming. So this is only two weeks ago. I think it's history two weeks. So I get to that clip, so he has to eat his words. And any of us that said, uh, you know, to, what I wanted was that we'd bring in and we'd give the special welcomes, fortunes to, to our newcomers and people that come from awful areas like that, especially women and children. And we have services look after, meaning hospital, and Johnny Newby mentioned there, produced them, hospitals, you know, schools, uh, transport. You were kind of finishly talking about them walking in from the venue and in now into into Dundrum and people have been on to me looking for a basic bit of a put yeah, it's, it's extremely dangerous. Though. Now coming there short days again next week, so nothing done yeah. there. So we having the facilities are joined up thinking. Then, to be honest about it, a gang, a row erupted then because the radical government and other ministers were jumping on him. Mm. You know, it's your problem. I remember he called a meeting one day for us, party groups, leaders, and only myself and Thomas Pringle turned up. And so it was very, um, uh, very information. We understood a lot about the problem. That time the problems were people that were taking them in to get the, the, the money they were supposed to get. And we had to salute, of course, the, the volunteers, families that took them in. They, they were the best of all, and they are. I mean, many people are doing it now, for business. And that's a different reason. You can't stop business. But uh, we just have to cut our throat according to measure. This country mm. was great at making these lovely announcements. And indeed, you know... Uh, but will, will there be egg on faces about that? I mean, Senator Gardner Heron, on this programme, for example, after you speaking to me and expressing similar views, said your comments were, were reckless and, and that they were a disgrace and they didn't reflect the majority of people. Well, that's up for the people to judge in the election time, but he did say in the Senate, and the record of the Senate is there for all time that he would prefer uh, 10,000 Ukrainians to one Matty McGrath. Now, that was an outrageous comment. Uh, people that know me know that I do my best for everybody. But look, um, of course they'll be egg on faces, but there's so much egg on faces at the moment from this government uh, that... They just they're in, a, they're in a spin. I keep telling them that, like a, like a spin top. They'll spin off one of these days into a calamitous general election, and the rest will be history. But it's the good people working at the front line. And Sean Lundigan, and his name come up with even conversation in the county council, and those people are working so hard to try and find the accommodation. And in all the, the voluntary groups, look at the community hall, and in, 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 look at the hall in Clonmel Hill Sports Centre, and look at this chap came out of there, and he actually showed us videos of while he was there. And they weren't pleasant. 
not that the best one to be done for him, but it's a big open style with men and women. Mm, you know, yeah. you'd be okay there for a night camping if you if, if, in a hostel, but not for not for long term. Yes. No, or even yeah. short term. Yeah. Same same up in up in um, you know Sean Ryan and his team up in up in um, you know up in mid tip and and to my brother, sorry, mm. massive facility, but not built for this purpose. So we have to cut our thoughts on the measure. Then of course, um, like the European leaders. Any of them that are critical, and and Victor Orban from 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 um, Hungary and others, mm. they've been ridiculed and same between the same as we were that we were racist and bigots. So, and the media have to take a certain amount of blame as mm. well because any critique at all, you were you were you were buried. But look, I'm used to that. And I don't mind that. But I mean, we have to be realistic. We have chronic. Look at look at Limerick Hospital. Look at the weight in this. They just can't cater what we have. Not mind say another hundred thousand turn in plus the population census. Our population has gone up so much, so um, it's time the government, you know, but people will decide in the long run about the government. They're smart people. Don't mind all the spin that comes out. They know they can, but when people compare what mm-hmm. Leo Varadkar said, the teacher said in the Senate two weeks ago, and what he said, yeah. what he said now. And, and Simon Harris is well coming out. I mean, I was, I was really taken by what he, he said. Uh, providing free, unlimited accommodation for Ukrainians just cannot continue. Simon Harris, and I had my rows with him over health. He's a practical man, and he, he, I meet him, and he's never, if you have the biggest row with him, you talk to five minutes after. He, he He's making a good job in fairness to him, in, 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 sorry, in the, with the universities and third levels, and, you know, student uh, changes there. He's, I suppose he's closer to that age group because he's, mm. you know, he's not that long, went through and said maybe 15, 20 years. So he's doing a good job there. And if you watch him and his pronouncements, Oftentimes, and most times, they're pretty sound and they're pretty, you know, honest and kind mm. of say, look, realizing that this is the problem. But of course, we're coming from a big round, the cabinet, blazing round. Of, and, of, and, of and, course. The, the, sure. the other issue I just want to touch on as well, because I know you've spoken out about this as well, is neutrality. And you had a right old go at me all, Martin, uh, about this, uh, Matty. Um, do, you, do you feel, is our neutrality under threat? Of course it isn't, Patricia. I mean, we're not neutral. I mean, I also question the fact that with the Ukrainian flag flying at the same yeah. level as, as as the tricolor up and down every day and night and the doll. And actually, in fact, when I went to check it just the evening, there they are the Ukrainian flag and, uh, and another picture of it and, um, and the European flag and no tricolor. I couldn't believe it. No. But no, I mean, that couldn't be, I don't know, an instant or maybe the flag was torn. I don't know. But anyway... Uh, no, I'm and, and why specifically do you have a problem? Is it because it sees us as being aligned then with the country? Is that, is that it? Well, that's the flag, but, but I mind that. So it's all the different issues that we were supporting him with helmets, with clothing. No, non-lethal, non-lethal. Yes, and he has soldiers to teach them how to clear minds. Where does it stop? Where does the non-lethal stop? And how sure are we with a regime like, 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 and they are a very dodgy regime, let's face it, ever, wherever before any war started. And that's not my word there, international corruption, report. Corruption, yes, corruption. Yes, yes. How are we sure that money is going, that's not buying bullets, and it's not buying, uh, that's going where it should be going? You can't, in a war situation, you can't uh, look after that. But especially, specifically for me, on Madden, He's said more times than, than, than I have two fingers, uh, two hands, uh, ten fingers, that our neutrality was an outdated concept and we must mm. um, amend it. Mm. Now, I don't believe that. 
But he didn't organise this road show of four different, you know, kind of citizens in me, like things in Corkin and Galway mm. and Dublin. And he got his answer there from the people, so that's kind of buried now. But no, look, we have we have the best of peacekeepers, and we're recognised as playing a valuable role, a vital role, a role in the and all over the world. And indeed, we met the people from Jadville recently, whom we had met in court and looked after. That was a bet in the Congo all those years ago, and they haven't been recognised by the But, but do, you, do you not get the idea that some of our politicians are kind of embarrassed by our neutrality almost. Yes, they are. And he's definitely, he's definitely is. But I mean, what, what have we? Look, we haven't even Navy ships. We can only run two of them at the moment. We have five. And we have, can't fill them. Our army is depleted of soldiers and are out there. I wish them well and safe turning back to them. And even Lebanon out at the moment and out in that Middle East. It's so worrying for the families. But the army has been ran to the ground. And, and literally, literally, you look at the fine balance with the men and lost it by this Kutinagay government as well. So they are in battle. But listen, why not have a referendum on it? And listen to the people for once. As far as I'm concerned, we're, we're mm. punching above our weight as a neutral country. We're recognised as the peacekeepers. We're recognised from humanitarian aid. We, we have a history here ourselves, so we know all about strife and trauma and war for hundreds of years. So we've been recognised there. And I want us to be able to be we've had 27 countries now and the teacher was patronising to me Lou McDonald and it all the other day and like you left it in and kind of a grind school he thought he was in that when you go out if you're out there at these meetings we're only one in 27 I get that we all get that but why not be the one that can bring people together and, and would you people? would you go so far as to say that you'd like a definition of neutrality in the constitution for example I would yes would I, want a, I want, a, I want a, um, a referendum on it and, and let the people decide I'm not for me to decide I have my view other politicians have other views but I mean why not be devised at that 27 table of listen peace like, but the world is in a very dodgy place at the moment it is, Ukraine yeah. is falling off the news but I'm just saying we see now they're struggling yesterday and Hungary and other countries blocked it and I don't blame them a 50 billion package for Ukraine like, to rebuild it but it's still been knocked the war is still going on so I mean and then now the Americans all seem to have taken their eye off the ball and gone uh, into the Middle East and very dangerous thing happening there by us for Ventolin and others and indeed the Biden administration it's a powder keg out there I mean I sat out I know what goes on I sat in Lebanon at a meal one evening in a restaurant and there were three of us over there with a humanitarian visit and uh, we went to this meat restaurant and Goodness, the Sligo woman owned it. We didn't know that, or they didn't know that, the people brought us. But we're sitting, maybe at our first course, a bowl of soup or whatever we're having, and lights went out. And I got to the phone to get lights. You know the usual, when mm. lights go out here, we panic. No, no, please, nobody move, just sit still. That'll come back 5, 10, 15 minutes. And it was Israelis turning off the generators to make, to just let the lads in Lebanon know that we're control with the power with the bosses here so that's how normal life out there is and it's so sad what's going on there with, with hundreds of years but I don't believe and worse condemn of course outrightly condemn what I messed in I mean that was some provocation we're told today now that they killed 50 the hostages so savagery and when I heard that poor man on the radio that his daughter was yeah. had died and he cried and said he, he was happy that she was dead that he knew she wouldn't suffer anymore oh, it was heart, goodness, heartbreaking wasn't it's it heartbreaking. it's heartbreaking so yeah. our neutrality as I said and I salute all the soldiers past and present yeah. that can, are just because I, I, I'm running out of time I, I just quickly can I ask you about the changes to the unaccompanied drivers uh, rules because this this uh, uh, there was a huge amount of interest in this during the week. Uh, what, what do you make of that, Matty? I've been calling for a long time. I remember I heard you saying that you got you got one of uh, the I did. Like, I got the freebie in 1979. I thought yeah. many more, and, yeah. 
common sense because there was such a backlog, such a delay, they couldn't cope. Why can't we do this now? First of all, there's two serious problems here. The NCT and the LDLS, mm. they have contracts. And one of them says they must have the licenses in your test in 10 weeks. And the other one says you have to have your NCT as prescribed data in a month. And they're seven, eight, ten months out of contract. So what is the chair, Lisa Don, of the Road Safety Authority and the chief executive of these boards? These are contracts assigned. And this ongoing failure. But the trouble here is young people, the Dusty Crow supporters, and indeed Jerry Mine and give them jobs. Uh, you know, they want to get go to college. They want to go to work. I have two a woman on to me yesterday that her son has two apprenticeships got offered and he can't get his test, both and need a full licence. My it's so different to what Sylvia, Sylvia Barrett done because it's no, in no way dangerous now because any person doing a test now has to have the theory test and has to have 12 tests. So all these instructors, and indeed, uh, I salute them, they're very, very good. They are professional. They are recognised by the RSA and the Department of Transport as as as, as, as your professionals and able to give people the standard. And when you apply for your test, you have to settle from them that you did the 12 lessons and you're proficient to go on the road to your test. I'm saying that that cert should be amended, that certainly uh, from the qualified and trained instructor and, and, and recognised maybe he has to be an instructor for a few years or whatever, that should get you on the road on the first time as you're able to do your test. And that's simple enough. That's not carte blanche. And when we get our 75 tests, remember, we lost 30 last year. So we're, we're, we're getting 75 now, but we're back already, back to retirement and wasted. So that certificate from the profession and qualified instructor with the young person, or an old person that's doing the license. Look, I've done my 12 tests. I believe he's proficient now and able to pass his test. And on the first time, even if it's capped that you can't drive in the motorways or whatever, we have to be imaginative. It's the same with the bus drivers, um, um, over 70 bus drivers. Bus companies have contracts now from bus and through the road safety authorities as well. And they can't fulfil them because the drivers are 70. And we're two and a half years pleading and begging with the Taoiseach and ministers. And I called Jack Chambers, I was in the chair in the door one night there, partner, and he was sitting below. And it was going, I called him up. I was still sitting in the door, so I'm going to speak, Jack, when are you going to start out to drive the license, please? This is really right. he, yeah. he said, he said, we can't, it's both him. So listen, if you take that attitude, we'll do nothing in this country. I must, I must leave it there, Matty, but thanks very much for coming on with us today. Thank you, and uh, look after yourself. News and information's coming up. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie The t- Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, Call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007, our free phone number. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Some breaking news for you, Russia has had to put out a statement this morning saying that the Russian leader Vladimir Putin has not died. And this is after a story seemingly circulated on social media yesterday that the Russian leader had died from cancer. So that uh, notice put out by Russia this morning to say that he is alive and well. Um, We have that competition for you. Louise Morrissey is appearing 
at the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel and uh, this night week in fact November 3rd she'll be there along with a star-studded lineup of her friends Philomena Begley uh, Ray Lynham will be there Jerry Guthrie Marty Daniels Molly O'Connell and the band Matrimony uh, providing accompaniment uh, there. So Louise is celebrating 35 years, as I say, in the country music business. We have two tickets to give away, and all you have to do is text or WhatsApp. Give us your name and your details. Put Louise at the end of the contribution, and we will pop you in the draw. It's as simple as that. Now, the results of uh, Census 2022 have revealed that there there has been a 10% drop in the number of people who identify as Roman Catholics and a 63% increase in people having no religion since the last census six years ago. Now, the percentage of the Irish population that identifies Catholic has fallen from 79% in 2016 to 69% in 2022, while the number of people with no uh, religion increased by over 280,000 to 736,210, which is 14% of the overall population. Gillian Brennan is CEO of the Humanist Association of Ireland, and she joins me now. Uh, Gillian, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Thank you for inviting me on. And thanks very much. To begin with, can you just tell me, what is it to be a humanist, Gillian? Well, humanism is an ethical life stance, um, and it's informed by science and reason. So it would be people who um, live their lives as was based on human values. So values like happiness and justice and compassion. And essentially, it was humanists um, based their interpretation of life on the natural world and its evolution. So... We wouldn't have a belief in any supernatural beings. Um, Essentially, um, humanists would contend that we have one life to live and we should live it well and that as humans, we can give meaning and shape to our own lives. So you don't see an afterlife, for example, Gillian, is that... No, indeed. As I said, we believe this this is our one life to live here and we should make the most of it and live it well. Very good. Now, you're pointing out in your press release that the data shows that Irish society has changed considerably. Do you think the state is reflecting those changes, Gillian? Um, No, I don't, for the most part. I mean, obviously there has been some um, positive changes over the last few years, but I suppose there's one key area, and I think most families in Ireland would relate to it, and that's in our education system. And where there's significant discrimination against the non-religious, and um, the government, the program for government currently has um, a plan to divest 400 schools away from religious patronage and to have them as multi-denominational schools. But yet, um, and, and the goal for that is by 2030. Yet last year, only one school was divested. And even if the government did achieve that goal, which we don't believe they have a hope of doing, it would be a drop in the ocean. Because, and I suppose this is felt particularly strongly in rural Ireland, mm. that for, for families of non-religious or even minority religions, if they want their, their children to be educated in um, a multi-denominational school, well, very often there isn't a choice. If you're lucky, you have a choice of two between the Catholic and the Church of Ireland school. But for the most part, parents have no choice, only to send their children to the local Catholic school. And I suppose even in beyond that, for... Um, the Employment Equality Act of 1998 um, enables hospitals and schools to discriminate in their employment practices on the basis of religion. So if you have, for example, two teachers who apply for um, the same job and they're both equally qualified, um, a Catholic school can select 
the Catholic one simply on the basis of the religion. You know, and if you compare that to say, would we accept that based on the colour of skin? If there was two equally qualified people for a job in education or healthcare, mm. and we say, well, we'll pick the white one over the black one, that there would be outrage over it, and we but, simply wouldn't accept it. But if the it. ethos of the school is Catholic, and if that's recognised and accepted, why wouldn't they accept a teacher? Um, over another if, if it was a Catholic teacher, Gillian. Why why wouldn't they do that? Well, I suppose you, you have to go back to the, the fundamental basis, of, you know, of even why would why why do we accept that our, our education system and um, still has a religious patronage? You know, if you think that um so sixty nine percent of people in the census identified as Catholic, yet the weekly mass attendance is thirty percent. Um, and with, you know, almost um, so three quarters of a million people have said they have no religion um, and we, another 300,000 didn't say. So that's over a million people. You know, how can you ignore the rights of such a large cohort of people within Irish society? Um, so we, we think, you know, the, the time has come for the government to step up. And even the, the United Nations has made recommendations to Ireland and called us out repeatedly in the report for not having, not alone multi-denominational, but for not having non-denominational schools. So it's, it's really, a, it's at it's the, the whole um, structure of our education system needs to be looked at. And, and we ought not to say, mm. well, just because they're Catholic there now, that that's okay to discriminate. You know, like I said, we wouldn't accept it based on skin colour or sexuality, yes. but we still accept it based on religion, which but, has to change and, and, going But do you, do you not find it interesting that even people, they might recognise themselves as Catholic, but they mightn't be particularly devout or go to, to, to Mass or, or meeting, as my grandmother used to say, but they, they would like to have communion for their kids, they like confirmation and they like baptism. Yeah, so um, I suppose there's been lively debate on this um, in recent years, you know, what you call, I suppose, cultural Catholics. And uh, so we would contend that in, in true terms, the percentage of non-religious is much higher because a lot of people tick the religion box or whatever mm. religion they're connected to out of a, a cultural affiliation, exactly as you have described. Mm. And I suppose in lots of cases, um, parents do it. And I'm, I'm aware in my own circle of family and friends that parents do it because they don't want their child to be left out because everybody else in the class is having communion yes. or confirmation, yeah. so they just go along with it. But, you know, you'd have to say, well, do they really believe in it? Because if they did, they would be at the church services week on week. But you look at 30% of people go to Mass, so you would have to say, well, you know, that leaves 39% of people who identify as Catholic who don't go to Mass every week. So there's definitely, I mean, those, those figures and those trends would show that people do it um, on those particular life occasions. Um, simply because, you know, they, there's an expectation perhaps in the wider family from grandparents, etc., that they ought to do it. And so people just do it um, because they, you know, go along with not to leave their child out particularly can be a key aspect of um, a family making that decision. What are your issues with the prisons and the defence forces? Yeah, so um, there's a chaplaincy service um, available with, within um, those institutions. And for the most part, um, it is solely a Catholic um, chaplaincy service that is provided. There's a very small percentage of Church of Ireland in there. Um, and in fact, there, there was no, um, no opportunity for non-religious people to actually apply for um, opportunities that arose, so vacancies within, within say, if you take the Defence Forces, there mm. was no opportunity. Um, and there was a case taken recently um, by somebody who was an atheist and wanted to um, apply for a position as a chaplain, but was discriminated against. So that has been called out, and the Defence Forces now have to look at their um, recruitment policy for um, the chaplaincy service. 
And again, we would think that, you know, it's simply not reflective of the makeup of Irish society. Yeah, I, I didn't realise that that was the case, for example, so I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware about that. No, I'm, I'm sure they're not, and it probably doesn't get that much media attention. Um, but, you know, if, you, if you're if you saying that Roman Catholics only make up 69%, yes, almost 100% of our chaplains are Roman Catholics. So that doesn't reflect the makeup of the defence forces or of any other aspects of Irish society. So I do think it's very important, um, you know, that that, that that is looked at. And we've had some initial engagement with the defence forces towards helping them um, to, to look at and, and to alter their recruitment policy so that it is reflective of Irish society and that they're not and implementing that type of a discrimination. So that's that's positive at least that, you know, it is being a light has been shone on it and hopefully we will see change in that before too long. And following the 2016 um, uh, census and the, the result of that, was there any movement at all from uh, to, to reflect even the figures back then? Um, well, it was one positive thing that did come after the 2016 census and the Humanist Association of Ireland was um, very involved in this. We got a change in how the religious um, question was framed. So for the last year's census, two words were added to it, if any. So instead of asking you, um, you know, what is your religion, which automatically assumed that you had one, and they, there was a change for 2022, which is what is your religion, if any, and no religion was put as the first um, box. So that was very, very positive um, from the state side. I mean, we would still say that the question should be reframed um, again. So I, I suppose change in Irish society connected to religion. Uh, religion is probably deeply ingrained in our culture and our society for, for centuries. Um, change is slow. Um, but we would urge the government, you know, to look at these figures um, and to really reflect on the makeup of Irish society now. And it is ever-changing. And even if you compare us, there were some interesting figures um, out of the census um, results yesterday that showed that UK citizens living in Ireland, uh, so over 41% of them had no religion. And citizens of other European countries living here, 34% of those had no religion. So I think we, we still have this kind of a bind, this cultural affiliation that's ingrained in our society. That, but it's slowly but positively moving away from it. Uh, and certainly society and government have to react to that and make changes so that we're including all, all citizens um, and not, I suppose, um, you know, discriminating against a large cohort of people, which which is not really sustainable. I'm just um, wondering. I'm just wondering, Gillian, if the reframing of the question uh, might be responsible for some of the extreme figures that we're seeing. Do you think? Um, well, I think it's you know it was re- reflective, um, at least that it showed that the state isn't assuming that everybody mm, has a yeah. religion. Um, and I mean, I suppose we actively campaigned last year in the Humanist Association um, for people to answer the question honestly. It wasn't an, an attempt, you know, to get people to say they had no religion if indeed they did have one. But for all the people, you know, who who don't believe in the God or who don't attend, uh, you know, a church or any religious service ever, um, we just urged them to honestly answer that question um, in line with how they actually live their lives. Um, so, I mean, I, I do think the question could be framed further because uh, in Northern Ireland, I suppose, recently, they, they did reframe their question. And I suppose there's a difference between somebody saying, ticking a box, do you have, a, you know, what is your religion, if any? And somebody might tick um, Church of Ireland or Catholic because that's what they were baptised. But there's a, there's a kind of a subset that's missing out, which is, do you practice a religion? And the answer to that question, we suspect, would show a significantly higher percentage of people who do not than, than the 14% that ticked no religion. Um, so I suppose that's kind of perhaps missing out of the data, but you do get some of that data elsewhere, as I say, in the weekly attendance figures at Mass, which mm. shows about 30% mm. of people. Um, so that's an interesting comparison against the census results.
Gillian, really good to talk to you today and thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you and good morning to you. That's Gillian Brennan there, who is CEO of the Humanist Association of Ireland, uh, talking to me there about those figures uh, released yesterday from Census uh, 2022. I wonder what you make of that uh, 083 311 Trevor was on Facebook and he says it's because not all... Uh, but some of the priests are so boring. I was at Mass a few weeks ago and it was like watching paint dry compared to um, Killinall and Mullinahone where the priest mixes more with his community and younger people, it says here. So that's in from uh, Trevor. Uh, Veronica says that religion has caused nothing but trouble in the world and maybe people are just stepping back uh, I know I stopped uh, over the mother and baby scandal. I stopped going to church because I found it all so hypocritical, says uh, Veronica to us, and that's in on social media. Uh, 083 311 Person making a very valid point and saying we, would, we wouldn't have any schools in this country if it weren't for the religious. And uh, there's a good element of truth in that because the state, I mean, you know, offloaded, I suppose, responsibility for education um, back in the day to the religious orders, uh, for better or worse, I suppose. Um, nobody has mentioned the amount of mass attendance online. Well, Gillian did there as I was uh, speaking to her. Um, somebody else saying she is trying to stomp on my religious beliefs. And um, Brian was on to say, at this rate, Fran, people will be prevented from having their children receive the sacraments because non-believers feel left out. Religion seems to be next on the woke hit list. I'm not religious, but no person or institution should be uh, sanctioned for their beliefs. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecone, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now, a big response uh, to my chat there with uh, Gillian, who is uh, a humanist. Uh, Joe was on to say, I gave up on the Catholic Church years ago, Fran, when they refused to christen my children in their dad's name because we got married in a registry office as the church didn't recognise our marriage. Uh, Somebody else saying, Fran, uh, this is making reference to the fact that the Russians have uh, come out to um, say that... uh, Um, Vladimir Putin is alive and well uh, following uh, the stuff that went up on social media platforms yesterday to say that he had passed away from cancer. Um, One of our listeners says, Fran, the British and the British media seem to have an obsession about Putin's health, flooding social media with all sorts. Then Putin appears looking better than a man 20 years his junior, uh, like when he had a so-called heart attack uh, but appeared on Euronews just hours later monitoring a Russian nuclear launch exercise north of Moscow. We can probably assume that they have the upper hand in the Ukrainian war as well, given the lack of coverage recently in the wider Western media. Well, I suppose um, what's been happening um, uh, between Israel and uh, 
and the like and the Palestinians I suppose that seems to have taken over the front pages for sure uh, we spoke to Tom yesterday and he was telling us about the Tip FM clock that is still ticking and uh, that he won on the Tony Brook show about 20 years ago well Anne joins me now Anne good morning to you morning friend and how you, are you you have one of these marvellous clocks as well Anne <laughs> I have friend yes and is it still working it's still working. I won it about 20 years ago at the Abbott Tony Brook show. Isn't that incredible altogether? And and can you remember what you had to do to win the clock? Um, I think I had to answer a question or something. Yeah. Something similar. I nearly forget, Fran, but I think there was something onto a question I had to answer. Very good. But you won the clock anyway, and it's still ticking away. I won away. it anyway, yes. And does it have pride of place, Anne? Pardon? Where, where, where is it in the house? The... It's in the kitchen here. It's in the kitchen. Okay, so you look at it every day. I do, I do. <laughs> it's a lovely clock. I couldn't get rid of it. Uh, very good. And were you a big fan of Tony Brook? Um, not really, but uh, um, I like the show, actually, now, too, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So you like country music and the like. Oh, I love country music, man. Yeah, very And good. I love talking to you, too, because I've seen Liston Varner. Oh, very good. And did we I meet... I have met you down there, Did we yes. meet down there, Anne? Oh, Yeah, excellent. every year I go there. Right, very good indeed. And have you been, were you down this year? I was, Brian, yes. Right, OK. And what are, it's kind of different now, isn't it? It's, it's gone... Um, it's gone that there's not much places to stay now because uh, people can't get bed and breakfast or hotels with the Ukrainians and it's like, I mean, it's full of them. Yeah, yeah, it and is. And people can't get the... You know, get uh, get accommodation. So it's hard to to stay down there, and of course, so many people enjoyed staying over for a few days and uh, the like. Yeah, and that's why a lot of people are not going there because they can't uh, get the accommodation down there. So it is hard to, um, mm. to you know to go there when you can't get it. Like you know. Well, I suppose in fairness, they're doing their best for the refugees, but I mean, this Dunvarna was such a, a wonderful place to go for so many people every single year and it's a pity I suppose yeah it's, it's, exactly uh, yeah, yeah. yeah will you go we'll again we love listening to you ah oh, thank friend. you so much Anne I'm, uh, I'm in, in the hotel there you know every Sunday night yes that's, that's in, in the Royal Spa we used to play oh, late that's brilliant yeah 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 you look forward to seeing you every Sunday night but we miss you now we used to have some wild nights down there Anne I know <laughs> Mighty crack altogether. And it was lovely to talk to you and thanks very much indeed for coming on. And I'm delighted the clock is still working for you. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Anne. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Dosh. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Anne there who won a tip. Those tip FM clocks must have been fantastic. (laughs) I wish I kept one for for myself, but uh, there you go. All right, let's move on because there's a fantastic event taking place this weekend to raise money for South Tipperary Hospice. And joining me now to tell us more about it is Chairperson Pamela Sweeney. Pamela, good morning to you. Hi, Fran, how are you? I'm very well indeed. It's a lip-sync competition, is it not, Pamela? It is. It's a lip-sync battle, Fran. Yeah. Okay. And for those of us yeah. who might be too sure, what exactly is a lip-sync competition? Okay, so it's like, obviously it's all over TikTok and TV and everything. It was there. It was a huge thing. Mm. For so we have 12 acts from Feathered. So rather than obviously singing the song, they're miming the song. And they're obviously pretending they're singing it so they're doing all the actions and all whatever but they're just miming the song yes. so as I say it's lip sync but as they're all pretending to be singing but they're not actually singing but I presume they're all glammed up and all dressed up oh, and the crack is my like, 
litter and lamb the whole way. Yep, head to toe, they've the whole lot. Yep, they're very all, good. Now you're yep. doing all of this, of course, for for a great cause, aren't you? We are. We're doing it for South Tipperary Hospice. Um, so yeah, it was just something that was close to a lot of us involved. Mm. And we were at the beginning when we were doing it, we were trying to think of somebody who would like to give it and do it for. So mm. look, we thought this is kept local and because South Tipperary Hospice are so involved with so many families around mm. and it helps so many families we thought look what better people to do it for than them so yeah they're on board with us and yeah and everybody involved kind of has some connection to South Tipperary Hospice or and we can all relate to it in our own way for the hospice which of is course. why yeah. everybody said that anyone we asked to get involved once a few of them are kind of beginning saying oh no I'm out of my comfort zone this isn't for me or whatever and then the minute we said who was far, they thought, oh, look, we'll push ourselves out there and we'll do with far this. Yeah, there's a so, great yeah. fondness and appreciation for South Tip Hospice. Uh, that's that's oh, for sure. there is. Though, there's there? huge, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Because I definitely, even some of the lads at the beginning, when we said this to them, they were saying, no, I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. And then yeah. we kind of turn in the line, oh, this is far South Tip Hospice, and straight away... And it makes, yeah, makes all the yeah, difference. Yeah. It made a huge difference. And yeah, the, the group of you that have come together for this, do you do other things as well, Pamela? Or is this a one-off? Um, no, well, we have. We've done a few. There's been a few of us involved who've kind of done a few different things. Um, a lot of us would have been involved a few years back. We've done uh, Strictly Come Dancing in Manila as well, the same group. Yes. Um, then the same kind of core group were involved. Obviously, when the Ukrainians were coming to Feathers, we got together and we gave we put together welcome packs with mm. them all. So when they arrived in Feathers, we had a welcome pack for every Ukrainian person who came to Feathers. Oh, well done. Who came to the oh. convent. So it's kind yeah. of a core group who've been involved in a few things, smaller yeah. things, but this is probably a big thing that we've taken on as a group now. Excellent, yeah. all together. So if people want to get, it's this coming Sunday night, it's 8 o'clock this in the Manila Hotel. If people want to get tickets for that, how can they do that? Um, at the minute, obviously, it's final, kind of the last few around. So in Butler's off license in Feathers and Butler's, participating mm. in a fair. She's one of our stars. Mm-hmm. Um, so Anne has them available in Butler's off-license. Barry has them in the post office and he's open today and he's open a half day tomorrow. Um, any of the committee members, we have the tickets so they're available from us as well. So, yes. yeah, we all have a few floating rounds. You, you so. want to get your skates on though because I think you're, are you almost sold out? We're almost sold out, which yeah. is great. It's exceeded our expectations as in. But then look, we have great characters in it. There's great fun and I think anyone who's heard anything about it. It's like we have fantastic thirty nine people from Feather which is huge. Right. Um, ranging from eighteen to in their sixties. I won't give away our top oldie. <laughs> um and they're great characters. Everybody in it is bringing something different to us and whatever. So in their circle of friends alone, it's look it's hugely supported friend and we've got huge support in Feathers and in other places for the sponsorship involved in this. Like people have been amazing. Yeah. Local people are get doing I know and people from Clonmel and whatever are doing here and make up for the guys on Sunday morning. And loads of businesses and other people have got involved with whether it's just prizes on the night or sponsorship and donations and everything. So it's definitely it's gone way beyond what we thought it yeah, would be. But but it's you have you have yeah. a fantastic community out there around Featherton in France. Right, look, everybody in Featherton is great and as yeah. I said, even to get thirty nine people locally to take part in this is huge. Sure. It's massive. And I can't thank any like the thirty nine people are involved. We can't thank them enough for getting involved and giving up their time to do it with us. Like there's been eight weeks of training and again our choreographer Henry Fitzgerald from Flamel, Henry has been amazing. Like he's put his heart and soul into this and it wouldn't be what it is only for Henry. So we can't thank Henry enough neither of them. He's been amazing to us. I'd say it's so, gonna gonna be a fantastic are you, are you lip syncing yourself, Pamela? 
Watford now, which we won't oh, be listening to my friends. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. On the night. Oh, you're, teas- you're, the night. you're teasing us here. but So you could well be strutting your stuff, Pamela. <laughs> well, we have a few surprises on the night, so we won't say what they are. <laughs> I don't think it'll be me, friend, no. But we have a surprise act on the night, which will Very blow good. people away, especially people from Feathers. Just like we have our celebrity from Feathers who's going to be involved and. She's amazing, and when you hear afterwards who it was, you'll say, "Wow!" I mean, it was just she's fabulous, and what she's doing is fabulous. So I'm, it's I'm, just an extra. I'm, she's I'm not in, part of the competition. I'm intrigued now, and I'm sort of guessing to myself, but I keep my guesses to myself. So it's Sunday night at the Manila. Get your skates on you if you want to be part of this, because the exactly. tickets are, are Look, selling. Look, you won't be sorry you went. It's entertainment from Act One to Act Twelve, Act and the surprise Act then. So it's like. Definitely a night if you want to get on your glad rags and come into Melilla Sunday night. You won't be disappointed. The whole 12 acts have given it everything and it'll be a night to be remembered. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. we, we wish you the very best with it and well done to everybody involved for a great cause there. Thanks for coming on with me, Pamela. And you're mean, actually, Fran. Ian O'Connor is going to be presenting the show with us. So, again, there's another hard act to follow. Ian will be giving us well, you best know, he can do or whatever. No, no better man. No better man. I, exactly. I, ho- I hope he'll lip sync to something. <laughs> we, well, look, he will. And then we have Aidan Mack is doing a disco afterwards oh, as well. Excellent. So, yeah, we're, yeah, it's all good the whole way. So, so yeah, lots of Tip FM uh, connections there. All right, Pamela. Yeah, exactly. Look yeah. after yourself. Thanks, Thank you. Have a Perfect. great night. Thank you. Bye-bye okay, to you bye. now. Bye-bye. We were speaking to um, a couple of people, Anne and uh, Tom, who won those Tip FM clocks about 20 years ago, and they were telling us that they're still... Uh, ticking away brilliantly, but I love, I love this from a listener who says, "Hi Fran, I won a Soda Stream years ago on Tip FM. It never worked. <laughs> do you know what you should do? You should send it back. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on one eight hundred nine three eight double o seven. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, Jim was on, and he says, I wish I was a better believer at age 72, but my dad is gone 45 years, and I haven't heard a dickie bird from him since. (laughs) Jim goes on to say, if you mumbled at your concerts and people in the fifth row couldn't hear you, your following would be a bit sparse, Fran. I recently listened to a priest waffling to explain why the labourer got the same pay for one hour as the gobshite who worked for a full day. Try telling that to Murphy from Carr Sivine. And uh, Jim describes himself as a doubting Jim Thomas. So I'm gathering you're, you're not that I'm a biblical scholar or anything, but I looked it up. So you're referring there to the parable of the workers in the vineyard, I, I believe. Um, but you weren't impressed anyway, uh, suffice to say. Oh, wait, three, three, double one, double three, double one. It's time to talk farming. Glad to be joined by Deputy News Editor of the Journal, Farmer's Journal, of course, Katrina Morrissey. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, Ben. I tell you, Ev, they're all out today, Katrina. <laughs> they're all out today. It sounds like they are. <laughs> I was on a call before now, but it sounds like you've had an exciting half an hour. <laughs> Something like that, anyway. Uh, let's begin with that GPS tracker to clamp down on bogus slurry exports. Will you explain that to me? Yeah, so this is um, an idea that's being floated among the nitrates expert group, which is um, within the Department of Agriculture. It would include officials from the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Housing, which has a very big remit when it comes to slurry spreading in this country, Chagask and the EPA. And what they're looking at is that um, GPS trackers could be used on uh, slurry tankers 
to monitor when, where and how often, etc., slurry is exported from one farm to another to be spread on land. Um, it would be a very uh, tight level of oversight, um, it, it's mm. needless to say, um, but it is one of the measures that they think might be effective in clamping down on water quality issues. And I suppose one of the main issues with water quality is the out-of-season and the unsuitable timing of slurry spreading because on a day like today, you know, waterlogged ground with more rain to come, it's absolutely not the type of day that anybody should be spreading slurry. Um, it's out of season at the minute anyway, yeah. so it is illegal currently to, to go out today. But you could have this type of day in September when the dates are okay, but actually the conditions wouldn't be. Um, so the idea seems to be that the expert group um, thinks that maybe having GPS trackers would make people a bit more honest about when, where and how they're exporting mm. their slurry from the farm and spreading but, it. But how would you police that, Katrina? Um, I'm sure they've managed to put a number. Actually, I think we have five satellites a day passing Irish farmers and taking note of their farms. So the uh, the policing of um, technology like that is is really really advanced in the is Department it? of Agriculture. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So farmers obviously use GPS in their tractors as it stands. Um, so I would imagine it would be that you have to declare, and that is another part of it. Sorry, that the farmer would declare that I am going to export the slurry onto my neighbour's farm on Monday and mm. that of course the pre-notification and the exact timing could then allow for example county councils to come out and observe that in real time um, so I've no doubt that they would be able to develop the measures to do it um, would the threat of it be enough for the, mm. um, the people who are doing that rogue slurry spreading to cop on? I would hope so um, because that really shouldn't be happening in the first place. Um, and to to need to clamp down on it is not a situation where we want to be, um, but it isn't one that the department is looking at in the nitrates expert group. And speaking of slurry, the nitrates experts, they want a tightening of the slurry rules in general. Yeah, and that's one of them. So the GPS would be a really, you know, really severe tightening of the export rules. They're also talking about introducing a feed database and we already have, just in September, we have a fertiliser database. The feed database would be, um, because there's an element of nitrogen in the, the animal's feed as well, mm. it would be a record of how much and what type of feed and the crude protein content of the feed that animals on the farm are getting. That would allow them to, to, um, to calculate and extrapolate from there what uh, nitrogen impact that would be having on the farm as a whole. And it's another layer, I suppose, of oversight. Some would say bureaucracy. Um, is it required? It really depends. Um, and these are, I suppose, this is all, um, talking shop is too mild because these, this is the group that will be deciding what should go into Ireland's Nitrate Action Programme. Um, but these are all of the, I suppose, the options that they're looking about at the minute. And, for example, the GPS trackers on the slurry exports, that is already in place in Holland, I think it is. Um, so it's not within, it's not outside mm. the bounds of possibility that some of these will come into play in Ireland. It's interesting, but it adds to the whole administration of a, a family farm now, doesn't it? It's, oh, yeah. there's nothing simple about farming these days, yeah. and you know there really isn't the amount of paperwork, um, the amount of expert help as well, which has you know it comes at a cost. Um, you know, farmers, the level of detail, the level of form filling, the level of. Um, Laptop work required for um, farming these days is really, you know, it's 
so different to what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. The changes are unbelievable and farmers need professional help in some cases to do that. So, um, you know, the Chagask office in Clonmel or private agricultural consultants um, all have to be paid. So not only does it add to the time, the paperwork, but also adds to the cost to comply with all of these rules as well. I was taken by the dairy sector being worth over 17 billion, Katrina, to Mm. the Irish economy and that contrast with tourism, for example, that's worth ten billion. That's yeah, that's right. I suppose um, the dairy sector and farming in general it's a very disparate sector. So it's spread out. You know, it's not one big factory in the parish or on the edge of the town. So do we do we give it enough um, heed? I suppose maybe not. So what the dairy industry Ireland set out to do was put a figure on what the sector is worth overall to the economy. And they enlisted Ernst & Young to um, do the analysis. And it found, as you say, $17.6 billion was the value of the dairy sector to the Irish economy last year. And that is almost twice what the tourism industry was worth last year. That's about $10 billion. Um, and in the case of Tipperary, dairy is really, really important to the county. It's the second highest county in the country as regards its you know, the value of dairy to it. So it's over $2 billion in County Tipperary. Cork is the highest at over $4 billion. And then you have the surrounding counties of you know, Kerry, Kilkenny, Limerick. They're all about a billion each. Um, so it's a huge, uh, you know, it's a huge economic driver. And you know, we hear about the multinationals and what they bring. Mm. But actually, farmers and their, their associated businesses like the feed merchants and farm relief, fencing, you know, everybody who's involved in it, actually plays a very, very big role. Um, so you can talk about the Googles and the Facebooks, but the farmer down the road is part of a big network as well that's generating a lot of value for the economy. Yeah, it adds to that conversation, though, that any tinkering with that in terms of cutting back on yeah. the herd or whatever, the mm-hmm. overall effect of that on the economy could be very large, couldn't it? It could, and I suppose that's the part of the conversation that maybe has been missing until now, and the focus has been purely on the environment and the carbon reduction emissions and, you know, the way to do Mm. that being potentially to reduce cow numbers, Um, and that's all appropriate to have that conversation, but it's equally important to have the conversation about, okay, if we are going to reduce by 5%, 5 cows, whatever the metric is, what will that do to the national economy, the local economy, the individual farm finances? You know, so you can't have, I don't think you can have that conversation in isolation from the other. Yeah, it's a very powerful figure, though. I mean, I was totally, uh, I'm sure you weren't uh, t- as taken aback by it as I was, but I mean, the comparison to tourism is very, very interesting there. Yeah, know. and 54,000 jobs as well, Fran. You know, they're they're not all farmers. They are people who are working in Mitchellstown. Mm. They're people who are working in, in Bellevue. They're people who are working in Ballyragget. You know, they're people mm. who are working in, in the dairy processing industry. Um, so it's not to be sniffed at. And as I say, I just think it's really important that the economic impact, and it, and it's the same at a European level, there's often, you know, would you call them philosophical conversations about what we should do, the Green Deal, but it's rarely done in the light of an economic impact assessment, and that's what's needed. It's very interesting indeed. The basic income, uh, income support for sustainability, uh, there's payments there, Katrina. Yep, that's right. So this is the um, 
the annual uh, check of the post, some people will yeah. call it. It's been massively reduced in recent years. It's got a new name this year because we're in a new um, common agricultural uh, policy and it is £450 million going out to farmers, uh, 100,000 farmers. When you divide that between them, it's worth about 4300 per farmer. Um, they then have to, in this new cap, have to uh, get into other schemes to get the rest of their original money. So the, the check in the post is being eroded away every year and every cap cycle bringing everybody in this country to closer to an average payment. It used to be very um, wide-ranging, so depending on what your production system was in the reference years, which are now over 20 years ago, um, you might get a different uh, check in the post to your neighbour Gradually, everybody in Ireland is coming to an average figure and that whittling away is being done every year. So this year, it's, it's 4,300 an average to the 103,000 farmers. So it'll be a welcome check of the post, needless to say. This is the time of year that farmers sure. line up a lot of their bills to be paid. So uh, this is the week in the month that the contractors will get paid. It's when the, um, the running bill in the co-op gets paid for feed or fertiliser. It's the time of year when um, all of those, uh, I suppose, running costs of a farm usually get settled. A lot of farmers will have, say, machinery repayments timed for this part of the year. Um, so it's an essential part of the, uh, the the financial running of any farm. So it will be welcome. I'm sure it will indeed. And before I let you go, I was talking to uh, Pat Murphy earlier on, and he said that the conversation around the NCT for tractors is coming up again, Katrina. Are you aware of that? to say it, I suppose about five years ago originally mm. I think it was 2018 um, and there was talk of going to be testing for all tractors. At that time they limited it to uh, you've caught me on the hop but I think it was the tractors road, what, road what we would tractors, call the high speed yes. tractors. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah they'd be over 40k or whatever yeah. um, and there is talk now that it might be coming in for, for the lower ones. Um, you know, tractors should be roadworthy, needless to say, but the fear among farmers will be, will be that this is another um, well, cost, bureaucratic and well. cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no testing ever seems to come for free. So it'll be interesting to see how it played out. There was a lot of farmers very much opposed to it in 2018, mm. and I'm sure there'll be a strong opposition to it. Well, with the way um, NCT is working out for the rest of us, Katrina, I can only imagine the chaos that would, would be there. Well, I'd say we could be looking at about 2030 <laughs> by the time the tractors get tested. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Katrina, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Katrina Morrissey, who's Deputy News Editor for the Farmer's Journal. Of course, the journal is on your shelves right now. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. Listen says, I'm a survivor of the religious and state abuse, but I will never give up my belief in God to suit somebody else's agenda. I've given my abusers over to the Lord to deal with, as I can't deal with them. God is the Almighty, it says here. And um, churches are man-made. 
And other listeners says, I wonder how it will go down if workers such as HSE workers or RTE staff were told that there was a tracker being put on them at work, just like the farmers, and that's referring to my conversation there with uh, Katrina from the Farmers Journal. And William says, Fran, if half the effort was put into monitoring illegal drug dealers as there are into monitoring farmers, we'd have no drug problem at all, says one of our listeners. Well, there you go. It is time for our Friday panel. Delighted to be joined in the studio by a Fianna Gael councillor, John Fitzgerald, with us. Mark Small is with us. Mark, of course, naval architect and mediator. And Kate Tuig is with us for the first time. And Kate, of course, is a musical director and um, very, very talented lady indeed and has been on the programme a couple of times too. You're all extremely welcome, particularly you, Kate. Thanks welcome. so much, Fran. Welcome to the panel for the Delighted first Delighted and time. intimidated to be here, but ah, it's all we'll, good. We'll, we'll, we'll be easy on you today. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Thank yeah, you. Just, just watch out for Mark. I will. Easy, I've been so. warned of him, all right. Oh, John, John's a quiet, quiet horse in the corner there now. Like. <laughs> I'm harmless enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we heard. But, 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 but anyway, it was reported this week, of course, the government could be on the cusp of introducing changes to the welfare rates and the accommodation given to refugees from Ukraine. Under the proposals, new refugees would have a time limit of three months on accommodation while a substantial cut to the social welfare payments uh, they're getting is also being considered to put it in line with some other uh, European countries. Mark, do you want this one first of all? Um, did this come out of the blue where you're concerned that this sort of not not really I I mean I was kind of expecting it um, I thought it might be a bit sooner I mean we're we're sort of lagging behind what the rest of Europe is doing yeah. in relation to in to dealing with the issue um, of you know be it Ukrainians or whoever coming who are who are moving um, for for very good reasons clearly but yeah I think I think I think you have to do something um, I think it is a um, I think there there is an element of uh, movement, you know, of 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 refugees who are moving maybe two or three times to different countries and things like that. So it's not just the first. Like we had the first wave, where I think which was very much we just had to do whatever we could when the war started. I think that was was everybody just all hands to the, to the pumps. And um, now we're seeing is is a different trend. Is where um, refugees are now moving from country to country within Europe. Um, now I'm not saying that they're necessarily taking advantage of the systems, but I think it, putting in place a system where there's a time limit on on how long you can mm. um, you 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 will be supported for. Um, I think is it. I mean, if you look at, I mean, there's no there's no restriction on them, any Ukrainians or any in in certain areas working. I mean, they are treated as as European citizens as such. So from that point of view, I mean, I think it's it's right and proper that that in this particular case they should do that. But I was speaking to Matty McGrath. I'm not sure if you heard it earlier on in the program. And in first to Matty, I mean, he voiced. Roughly what is now being said by the Taoiseach and Simon Harris and people like that, um, he voiced that about a year and a half ago and said, we'll have to look at numbers, we should look at numbers, we should look at payments, all of that stuff. And he was branded right-wing and he was branded racist and all sorts of stuff. Is there an irony in this in some way? Well, I think, I mean, I, I think in the initial... In the initial I mean, I think limiting the numbers, I don't think, is possible as such. I mean, that we... we 700 think, a week now still coming in. Yeah, I mean, so mm. the actual limitation on it, but I think if you if you put a limitation on the support that you can you can essentially get or the government is willing so to do, I think it's... So it's not as attractive then, is it? Well, I think... Is it, it, it that cynical? Well, I think there is an element of that, yes. I think people, naturally, people will go to where they can generate the best benefit to them individually. And I think that's why you're seeing a migration of some of some refugees across different parts of, the, of Europe, because they say, well, look, you know... If we go to here, um, it might be better. Mm. We might be better suited. Um, 
I, I mean, I think within the system, I wonder is there going to be element, any element of cohesion across Europe of saying is that would have one, can you just do three months in each country and keep moving around? I mean, that's a, an element. Is that possible? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I don't think it solves the inherent problem mm. in that, you know, we have a huge uh, um, issue with, with migrants coming in um, I think we're only starting to see the pro- which would probably happen and much more is is a climate based migration, and um, we've had economic based migration, and we've and, had and that could be overwhelming. Well, I think that the, could be. I mean, that's going to be yeah. a much bigger problem if you look at like say, Bangladesh and that area, which are basically underwater. So I think we have to consider going into the future what how we're going to deal with inward migration in all shapes and forms. Yeah. Kate, what are, you, what are you making of this? Yeah, like I don't think it's incorrect to maybe look at reforming how we are, um, you know, offering support to refugees coming to Ireland. But I wonder as well if there's a bit of kind of compassion fatigue setting in amongst us as well, that it's old mm. news now. And we're kind of seeing that we had these short term uh, supports in place. And I don't think it's wrong to look at making those more sustainable going forward. But I suppose the way to look at it isn't about making it less attractive for people that are seeking, you know, just to be safe to be in a safe place mm. rather than because trying Because some of the to, accommodation of course that we're giving now is not safe it's not and it's not adequate. appropriate. It's yeah. not appropriate yeah. for people to you know. Like can you imagine like not being able to like home is something we consider as a safe place. Mm. Do you know when you think of going home it's to safety. If you get homesick it's because you're maybe pushing the boundaries and you want to be in a place that you know and it's comfort. And when mm. you don't have that you want to be able to go to a country that's compassionate towards your needs. What did you make of the notion though that because it seems a sum Ukrainians are flying back and forth as well. So now they're putting in the stipulation that, you know, you have to stay where you are or yeah. you could easily lose your place of accommodation. What Were you surprised by that? Yeah, it's something I wasn't aware of until this actually mm. came up this week that people were, you know, relocating from one safe place to another safe place. Mm. Um, and I suppose I don't blame people for trying to kind of, you mm. know, have their best life and get their, their best opportunities, you know. Um, but as I said, I don't think there's any problem in looking at reforming it, but I think it needs to come from a place of compassion and not to discourage people from finding safety, but to like still welcome them, still support them, but maybe in a more sustainable way as this obviously isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, John, it might be the cynic in me, but I have this notion in my head that maybe uh, politicians are looking to to local elections and uh, to a possible general election as well. Um, Is there an element of that to this, that this is reflecting maybe what the general public would have in mind? Yeah, I'd say it is the cynic (laughs) in you. (laughs) (laughs) I know, no, you could. Uh, I mean, a politician looking for an election. I, I don't think that has any bearing at all on the review that's taken place of the, not what none whatsoever. Huh? I really don't. Uh, if you look at the record of this government, uh, you know, with the crises that have been thrown at it in terms of Brexit and COVID and refugees, I think they've handled it in an even-handed way, and they've done us proud. In, in fairness, in relation to protecting people, Europeans, fellow Europeans that came to our country for refuge, but of course they have to review that as it sets in as it, as, it, as it builds in and the time is right now to review that there's about 100,000 people here and you know we've done above and beyond some of the bigger countries in Europe I think there's only about 150,000 in places like Italy yeah. so Ireland is a small economy and have we done that to the detriment of our own John? I don't think so no I don't think so I think the two worlds live our own world continues on side by side with the, the job we're doing for European uh, people who have come here for refuge. I really do. I think the government are dealing with that separately 
I think, you know, the, the accommodation aspect of it is a definite separate type of housing solution than what we can give people, what we're trying to give people well, here. Well, it's, it's separate, but I know, I know with my other hat on me being involved in, in, in the entertainment business, I, I know that certainly providing accommodation has damaged tourism big time and yeah. damaged entertainment big time and that sort of thing as well. So it does cross over into, into real life, so to speak. Possibly into business. I hadn't, yeah, yeah that's a fair point, and I, I, haven't, I hadn't considered that. That, but the you know you mean by less hotel yeah, bedrooms and that's, things that's like that. Beds being available yeah, people, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I accept that. I, I don't I don't know the figures in that mm, regard. Yeah. Um, obviously, when you have when you get a spike in your population, and then the people living in a small country like Ireland suddenly, there's bound to be uh, you know repercussions of that. And I I, I suspect they are now being fully felt with a hundred thousand Ukrainians here. But notwithstanding that, I think we have now reached the time where it has to be properly reviewed. We have to look at the social welfare aspect of it. We have to, I know we're getting some assistance in relation from the EU in that regard. And it's not coming out of our own, all coming out of our own tax tape. Very little. But, very, but, I mean, yeah. look, look at what we had to put aside in the budget. So, I mean, you know. Yeah. Like so. Uh, so, you know, in that regard, it's not. But at the same time, you we, we don't want to be making us look like the most flahulic place to come to. I think yeah. that's yeah. what's getting, yeah. irking people well, here. Well, we have been, you uh, see. We well, have, look, we we're, 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 we're Ireland seven, of the West. 790 a week in, in Belgium. 790 a week in yeah, Belgium. Yeah, we, uh, look, our social welfare system here and our, you know, our welfare system here has always been a bit on the generous side. And uh, that might be a carrot for certain, you know, individuals that want to reach our shores. Mm. And that has to be uh, now, dealt of course, we now. have to be careful because welfare systems are very diverse and it depends on cost of living in a country exactly, and all, yeah, all of exactly. these sort of things. So it's important to yeah. keep that in mind. But but one of the things that struck me as well is that um, other asylum seekers here get €38.80 a week. But if you're from Ukraine, you get 220 Well, I mean, remember remember that they, there is a, was a, a completely different approach to the Ukrainians as it was to general refugees. What they What Europe said was... European countries are to treat Ukrainians as if they are Europeans and European citizens. Mm. So that was the fundamental difference between a Ukrainian uh, refugee, for argument's sake, or, or, or an immig- immigrant and anyone else, because you are being treated now as a European with all the rights of a European citizen. So, like, so they'd be treated no different than if if a French person or a but, German but the, person. But that comes directive to doesn't hold water at all because they're not part of the union. No, but I mean, our, Europe took a view. The European yeah. at a European yeah, yeah, at European level. I mean, I, and I I, I I see the distinction there. Yeah. But I think in a solidarity, I think what happened was there is I mean, in a solidarity to a war in Europe, which it is a war in Europe, and they are Europeans in the context of of living in Europe in that place, and in a very uh, total uh, unjust. Uh, mm. war in relation to the Russians just coming in. I think it's right and proper that at this time that we did do this. Um, and again, may, maybe again, I think the review that's going on, I think, in the government in doing it, in that there is, and Europe is adjusting it in saying that we're allowed put these type of time limits and structures and things in place. Well, other countries and I, are, and other countries are doing it. Yeah. I mean, I think the fundamental thing that we have to look at is it's it's a, it's a universal maybe across most most of what of of the Western world is accommodation in all forms is a problem, mm. you know be it um, you know housing accommodation for people be it tourism accommodation dealing dealing with refugees and people moving from things accommodation is a problem and the problem we have is we just cannot build 
quick enough mm. for the expansion and the movement of population that is happening in, in the Western world at the moment. Yes, and that's going, going and to that's continue. And, and then yeah. there, is, there are two problems with that. One is because of the, the crisis we had in 2008 and the housing crisis that yeah. we had in stopping that, we lost a huge number of skilled workers. And then the other side of that is there is a general perception, which is, I think, completely untrue, is that if you are a bricklayer or you're a carpenter, you're somehow less than someone who's gone to college. Mm. And I think this is the problem we have. Is so we, not, we, we can't build it quick enough. We don't have the staffing numbers to build them. But then we need people coming into the country to grow our economy. We effectively have full employment in the country. So our pro- this is the challenge we have, course, which, is, which, is, yes. which is a real and, conundrum. And do you uh, agree with John or disagree with John that there's nothing political about this. No, I, mean, I totally disagree with that. Oh, right. I mean, okay. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist well, to figure I mean, the, out things the, like this happening. The last, the last <laughs> poll, about sixty percent of Irish people thought there should be a cap on numbers. Of yeah, and I mean, I look, I mean, I think. So, I mean, yeah. the real politic will have you look at that Absolute. and say. And I mean, you know, I think, I mean, I think yeah, the, the the politicians, as they as they would always, and no disrespect to John, going, look, you've got to look to the future, and you're going to be elected. I mean, every the first thing is, yeah. as soon as you get in, as soon as you're elected as a politician, the next thing you have to look at is how do I get, get re-elected? Yeah. And I mean, I mean, if you look at the side of it. It's, it's such a short cycle mm. that realistically speaking we have I mean if you look at I think politics in, in, in all western societies I think are based on the four or five year cycle. Mm. So really deep long term planning over 20, 30 mm. years just doesn't happen and, and Kate, the the, the Tonishta and the Taoiseach both saying how proud they were of the compassion shown by Irish people. Are you proud of Irish people in terms of how we dealt with... with um, yes and no. I mean, there's a massive distinction between how we treated the Ukrainians um, and how we treat other asylum seekers yes, in Ireland. direct provision really needs to be looked at. Like, if know? we're looking at how uh, we're reforming our response to Ukrainians coming to Ireland, that has to be looked at. Like, that has to be part of the agenda as well mm. because it's an absolute... Like, it's a disgrace. And... Mm. Um, you know, the situation that people are living in. And for them to see the response to Ukrainians, which is correct, I think we should be proud of how we responded to that. But why the the discrepancy? Why the difference? You know, um, people are people, in my opinion. Well, of course, you know, at the time, people were making the point that they look more like us. I they're know. whites, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. And and is that a part of it? Oh, is absolutely. That? I think that's yeah. people's kind of, like, the, the heart-wrenching side of it was like, that, that person looks... Like me, it could be my neighbour that that looks like a civilization that I belong to, mm. um, and we could relate to it a lot more. So um, mm. our compassion and our empathy was heightened in that situation, I think. And John, can I ask you about what Matty said to me this morning? That he he felt aggrieved because people were very now in fairness they were very nasty to him, and they did call him everything, and you know even even in the houses of the Oireachtas at the time for basically saying, "What now?" We're you know we're we're hearing the Tonish and the Taoiseach saying. Look. You know? Independence will always bring water to their own well and they have the unique position to do that because they never have to deliver on a single thing. Mm. They never have to deliver on an outcome for any individual so they can afford to be, as you well know, hurlers on the ditch and saying, we told you well, so. Provide, of course they told you they so. Because an, they provide an opposition, John. They, they, well, they, they don't because an opposition by its very nature is a, a government in waiting or, right. or a, a somebody that's going to make a decision in right, waiting. But I'm an independent the, the, is never I'm going to be anything. The, 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 so they can the say pure, what they the like. The pure meaning of an opposition is an opposing view. An opposing view, but it'll always be an opposing view. So it's, it has the comfort and the luxury yeah. of always uh, giving you out these views that yeah. they never have to substantiate themselves if the boot was on the other foot. Right. But like, w- I mean, w- were they not proven to be right about this? You know, in the end, that it wasn't If you wait long enough, you'll be proven to be right about anything, really. Like, I mean, you know... 
I don't give an ounce of credence to that, to no. be honest with you. And I think that um, I think the governments have to act differently to to the to others because they have to see a thing over a period of time over different quarters of the year, over different years. As Mark said, it's a very qu- it's a very short-lived thing, governments. In Ireland, because of the nature of coalition government here, mm. uh, you, and so many different... If we had governments with 50, with 20-seat majorities in the Dáil, mm. they can make decisions. But we don't have that. So we have a kind of a consensual government in Ireland. I think we do well here. When you consider that, uh, as people have said here at the table already, that we have full employment, and that we have dealt with this you know, 100,000 people into our country in the last few years. Mm. We dealt with Brexit. We dealt with COVID. We, like, I mean, you know, the, mm. a recent budget which, which looked after the dignity of people in this country in terms of, of, of uh, social welfare. But, but we can't deal with health, John, and we can't deal with housing. You know. Well, we can deal with those issues, but uh, but well, how, how but they're we but they're challenging. They're challenging. Ah, look, I could yeah. we could go into that. Uh, yeah. qua- no, it's uh, just we, again we heard stories yeah. during the week, just individual stories of human beings, not statistics. You know mm, but, about their experiences of health. But and, they make you know. individual cases make bad law. Yeah. That anyone will tell you that in terms of the legal process, and it's the very same in the health process. Uh, like I've, I've myself was uh, I in this past year I've been in the health system in Ireland uh, for for procedures, mm. and and I have to I have to say that I found the HSE did a one did I couldn't praise them high enough at Clonmel uh, at South Tipperary General but Hospital. Was that here. was that private health insurance though? Yes, I had, but yeah. like I mean, notwithstanding that, they yeah, didn't but, know but, that when I arrived. Right, but there, been, there is a you know there is a two tier. There is, system, though, I accept there, you know? there is yeah. of course there there is, but yeah. I have I've I I know I deal and I talk to a lot of people that deal with it on both mm. on both strands, and it's not by God it's not perfect. There's no time, and there's no government going to ever claim that health is perfect. You can keep throwing money at health. Mm. But that's, all, that's all your the life. problem, isn't it? Yeah. We're, we're throwing money at yeah. it. Uh, yeah, Kate, did you want to get in on that, yeah, with the health? Yeah, I mean, I've had my own experiences in and out of hospital as well over over the few years. And I think like, once you're within the system, the care you receive is, like, I've received top-tier care myself um, within the, the HSE. Um, but, you know, it's the access to that that, that mm. needs to be addressed, the, the two-tiered system, you know, mm. um, private versus public and... Yeah, yeah. And, and the whole thing, uh, uh, trolleys and all. And Mark, you were always at pains to say, you know, yeah, well, well, look, well I mean, you were looked at. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I was incredibly worried. And, and I think we have to make a big distinction between, I mean, the front line, as in the doctors, the nurses uh, and that, and then the management. Where, yeah. where, where I see the problems in the health service and, and to a certain extent in, in sort of a lot of, of government agencies is not the people who are delivering it to the individuals face-to-face. It is this... Uh, big grouping behind and the yeah. management and the structures that are the problem and they're inherent. But I mean, this is not a problem unique to Ireland. It's, it's worldwide in, in Western society that the health service has difficulty of accommodation problems. But well, I think the, it's really the, interesting. The NHS I, I, has yeah, severe And I just want to pick up on one, yeah. one point that, that John made there about uh, governments in waiting. I think he's absolutely correct in relation to t- certain types of independents who are who are very good at throwing stones but not actually giving any solutions. I think it's really interesting to look at the development of Sinn Féin maybe over the last five years in its direction towards the centre. Mm, it's, mm. I mean, it's not saying we're going to... I mean, 
five years, six or seven years ago, they, they could solve the housing crisis overnight. I mean, if you just did this, it would all be solved. Now they're, they're talking about this is a multi-governmental type mm. process. So there's no, they're not saying there's a solution overnight either. Mm. So it's really well, well, interesting. Well, they shoot themselves in the foot. Um, if, well, of course, but, that's what, but I think that's exactly what it means is opposition is government and waiting. And as soon as mm. you get to being waiting to be doing, now oh, yeah, you have to I come mean, back to centre. You know, independents are democratically elected. And, oh, no, know, I'm not saying they're not. People want them there because, you know, they believe know, in what uh, it is that they're, they're no, saying I'm, I'm and not, providing. I'm not saying there, yeah. there's, there's definitely a place for independence and absolutely there is but unfortunately in, in some cases the independents who, who maybe work with the governments and try really do well for their community because they have maybe a balance of power and, and, in, and in Ireland we have the unique position where predominantly coalition governments where an independent can garner support. I think all you have to look at is, is um, Healy Ray in, in Kerry at mm. the time when mm. he, he basically had the balance yes. of power there. Tony Gregory all those yeah, years ago but, with Charlie but, but yeah. it's that you don't see them in other countries as much as in no, the parliaments. It's, no. it's extraordinary. Oh, wh- why, why do you think that? Listen. I think they're populism. I no, think, I think that, it's a system. It's a system, I, I, system like well, it may be proportional yeah. representation has yeah. something to do with it, but like you don't get it as much in, in uh, other European countries, in Britain, in uh, the United States mm. even. Like, right. I mean, you can have a whole continent with two parties. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and yet you have a country this our size yeah. with but, but seven. isn't isn't every political entity populist when they need to be when they need votes you know i mean that's well you could say that but then you know political parties that have to actually go in and run a state mm. and go in and, and and run it on the basis of the permanent government that are there like the civil service and run you know in tandem with them that's they're facing elections too you know, those parties that are in power are facing elections and they have to take decisions and they could be seen to be stingy about some things and putting money away for a rainy day. Yes, but, and, but, but you towards, know, towards the end of the term, they seem to get more, more populist. Child. Well, look, we're Democrats yeah. and uh, look, there is an element of that, uh, yeah. Fran. I wouldn't deny that because, look, we, you know, I wouldn't deny it to you anyway because you'd see <laughs> true. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I think that... Uh, I think you're right. Like, I mean, I think there is an element of that. But I think in fairness in Ireland... It's a bit. It's funny. We don't appreciate at times. I think the quality of, and I say this of both of all parties that have been in power over the over the years, that um, when they do assume government, I think, you know, um, I, I, they do make mistakes. There's no doubt about it. But I think there's a central element of doing, trying to do the right thing, and trying to, you know do well by the state and do by do well by the people I'd, and even in the worst extremes of the Celtic Tiger years when the and it wasn't all government fault it was we all lost the run of ourselves well there were external and, yeah exactly well. yeah. And, and, and you know taxation was all a bubble and things like that but I still think there was an under... You know, we we recovered very quickly from that. Mm. And, uh, well, only because of austerity that kept because, people... And Kenny and Michael Noonan yeah. held the line, yeah. in fairness, uh, in the years just after 2009 and uh, yeah. uh, brought us back to well, the market with, with a blueprint that was given to them, some might say, by, by uh, a then, former then look, finance look, minister. But then well, look, anyway. look where we are now. I mean, <laughs> if, all you have to look at is, I mean, we are probably the poster child of Europe and going, how did we manage to recover to where we are? It with, always with worries our, me when we're the poster child of, <laughs> of, of yeah. Europe. All right, let me take a break. We're back with our panel in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Coming up... 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie and you're welcome back to our Friday panel. I often uh, believe that the mics should be allowed to be open <laughs> during the breaks because the conversations get really, really interesting altogether. Can we deal with that that survey that showed that 49% of people believe that unaccompanied drivers, uh, that rule should be scrapped or at least changed until the current backlog is cleared? Now, those against the law say it's affecting job prospects for young people, and it certainly is from what we're hearing from our listeners, particularly in rural areas. So, Kate, what what about, what about that? I mean, if you if you're on a provisional license, you you can't drive to work. You can, you know. It's and, and we don't limiting. have public transport. That's the thing. Like yeah. there isn't an alternative option for young people. Um, I was a rural teenager myself, you know. Um, yeah. and I remember when I was learning to drive and I had the learner's permit. Um, they were starting to bring in that law about unaccompanied drivers. Um, you know that not being legal. So, yes. but I was I was living in Kilcash and I was working in town. And sure, my parents were ferrying me in and out all summer. And the next summer, then I was home from college. They decided you have to have your full license. Mm. So it was this race to get the full license, and it was, you know, um, a, a hectic few months of trying to get the test and failing a few of them before eventually passing. But um, it is it's extremely it's strict and it's limiting. But I also see the other side of it in terms mm. of road safety. Do you know there's two sides to every argument? Um, and, mm. you know, we are and some seeing of the statistics really are frightening. Terrifying. Mm. Like, we're this year, the number of deaths on the road matches, you know, last the year, entirety of, of 2022. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there's that side of the argument as well. But, you know, I don't know if there's some middle ground. You know, learners have to have those 12 lessons yeah, now. Mm. You know, maybe after those 12 lessons that they are competent enough to be on the roads by well, themselves. Well, funny enough, a listener I thought came up with a great idea yesterday as a sort of a compromise is that. Allow learner drivers to drive, but only themselves, not to have passengers in the car. And That's I, I thought that was yeah. a kind of a, yeah. a yeah, good compromise. Yeah, because there are compromise. some exemptions, like, um, you know, people are allowed to drive tractors, but it's if, if there's a passenger in it, then you have to be yeah. accompanied by a fully yeah. licensed driver. Yeah. So yeah. that's a good nuance, I think, to actually include that you, you're not you, carrying You orders. mentioned that tragic stories don't always make good law, but my understanding is that the change of the legislation that time, back in, was it 2018 or 2016, um, was driven by you know, a particular tragedy largely. Is is that what we have to be careful about, do you think, John, you know? Yeah, I think so. And it's funny, I'm, I, I'm going to go off-piste with this one. I actually agree with what Kate is after saying there. It's a real chicken and egg situation where, you know, we can... What you're saying, Fran, about, um, you know, the law came in on, mm. on foot of... Uh, events that happen, yes, yeah. and let's face it, this year it's very bad. The road deaths this year are, are on the increase, and that's that's not good. And but it is a chicken and egg situation where you know you have to 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 learn to drive. You have to be driving, and just the yeah. feasibility of having someone a, a full a fully trained driver in the car with you at all times and and uh, every day of the week is so hard to do to get yourself the you know the 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 air miles you yeah. need to kind a, of, a mum came yeah. out with us and, and she had two sons mm. and both of them are learning different directions. How, how does she it's impossible it's, I think it's a, a tough situation I think what we need to do I suppose essentially is really speed up and crank up the testing uh, get the backlogs done away with get uh, people to test much faster uh, you know fast track that end of it I think that is probably 
going to be the solution. Would you keep the law in place, though, John? Well, it's it's it, when you go tampering, you see, you're going to you're you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's. I'm not certain how bad it's affecting employment. I uh, like I mean, we have we seem to have full employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so people are getting get around this. People are getting around it in terms of a job, but I I know it's an inconvenience and. Look, my daughter was waitressing in the summer and I had to bring her to a spot, collect her late in the night from the spot, yeah. that kind of thing. So there is, we all have to uh, do all these, you know, pain in the neck things that you have to do to get you from it until they assume yes. a thing themselves. But it, it's, it's not stopping people from being killed on the road, you see, which is, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's other factors. Yeah. I think there right. is. I think there really is. I think there's other factors at bear. I'm not sure that uh, tis the, you know, the learner drivers and getting them, yeah. I think it really just has to speed up the re- from the theory test to the point you do your, your test. That has to be moved along much faster. Much faster. The the way they moved it along, I, I don't mind saying this, in 1979 was to give us all free free <laughs> licenses without any yeah. test. And I, I, was a bene- I was a beneficiary. I've no, of, I've no doubt you were. I know about my... <laughs> you saw my driving. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> I, I know, yeah, it was funny because uh, my, my mother had a full... HGV Arctic <laughs> license. Me too. You know, and and I mean, I think she had a quandary at one stage when she said, "What well, do I have to go for the medical?" Like, and I mean, I mean, no, she wouldn't drive a car with a trailer, like you know. But so yeah, look, I, I think yeah. I think God, clearly that's not the answer. But I think where there's a will, there's a way, and it's all about risk management. Mm. Um, I think the couple of suggestions, the suggestion I think you had there, where they can drive only drive on their own, yeah. I think is a fantastic well, it was suggestion. My, it was a listener who was on. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what Kate also said there is about maybe after they do the twelve. A twelve approved uh, road, you know, uh, and and the, and then the tester goes, okay, you're at a competent level that that you know, an approved tester will say you're you are sorry, an approved driving instructor, will say, I'll, you're approved, and then they do the theory test, which is an online thing which doesn't involve anything. So, and then there might be other restrictions. Maybe they can't drive on motorways. That, but unfortunately, this particular law disproportionately affects rural people yes as opposed because where there's a lack of public transport this is the problem so you know and and we can't make one rule for rural ireland and one rule for for the cities so so i think you have to do it but i do think we can certainly look at risk management type approach to this as opposed to okay um drivers not must be accompanied Maybe there's things like limiting the speeds that they can drive at. Maybe you can only drive at is the speed limit for them because mm. because if the if the cameras are there, the the learner plate is there, so you can say your maximum yeah. speed is eighty yeah. kilometers. Maybe so, so get creative. About I think it, you can. Yeah. I think and I yeah. think and I think it's. I mean, if we if we put a um, because any law can be modified to suit the environment because there's always unintended any law it has unintended consequences, mm. and it kind of to an unfortunate effect we had the pandemic. Then we had no testing. Mm. Then we have, I mean, young people who are trying, and specifically rural Ireland. I mean, I think this is a rural Ireland issue um, where they're having difficulty getting. I mean, I I, I know because I mean, I have I have uh, relations who 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 ha- are struggling with this and and yeah. who have who have had uh, you know have to you know drive people you know here mm. there and everywhere mm. and it is it is a pain you know mm. but I we can be creative if there's a will and I, it's a risk based issue and Kate you being the one amongst us that's uh, that's horribly young what is going out 
on out there that we're seeing carnage again. Now, it's nothing compared to the 1970s where like seven, 800 people were being killed a year. And But what, what is going out on out there, do you think? You know, I don't know the answer for this, but there is an increase in usage of mobile phones on the roads. You know, yeah. there's a lot of distractions, yeah. um, whether it's you're reaching down for your coffee or you're, you're checking just to see, oh, what message that came in? Like, I'm guilty of it myself, looking down if the phone's on the chair next to me, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. who's texting? Um do you, just, do you think that's a biggie, is it, uh, the mobile I th- phone? I think there's just a lot of distraction within yeah. the car. Um, and no, I don't have the answer for this. It's terrible to see the, the rise in, yes, in roads, isn't it? Yeah. road a- accidents and deaths that result from that. And particularly, I think this town was very recently affected by that yeah, as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if speed needs to be looked at as well. Speed limits on certain roads, you know. Um, I was driving down to Dungarvan on a wet night there on Wednesday and I was definitely the slow coach holding people up on the road, but I don't know that road very well in the dark and the yeah. rain. And mm. the amount of people that were just trying to intimidate me behind me to speed up and then, yeah. you know, aggressively overtaking. Well, I, I find the mornings are lethal. Oh, my gosh. Lethal. Now, as, as a musician, too. I rarely have to be on the road first thing in the morning. <laughs> I, it's mostly nighttime driving I'm yeah. doing. But um, oh, like, there's so much aggression on the road as well, you know, in terms of the impatience that people have if they're driving at 75 in an 80 kilometre zone yeah. like that, they're up behind well, people. Of course. And, and just before we leave this, John, that notion of changing the uh, the speed limits, and it, it was described from some people as a knee-jerk reaction mm. to, to, to an issue. Mm. Is that the way we should be going, do you I think? I don't know. I just don't. Do you know, Fran, I don't. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I did think it was knee-jerk at the time, to yeah. be honest. To be caught, you see, it's as bad when everyone is crawling around like a tortoise on the road. Yeah, absolutely. That's, mm-hmm. Because that, people will that, do that, stupid stuff. Yeah, yeah then there's them. more passing out happens. Yeah, yeah. And passing out is statistically mm-hmm. where a lot of issues take place. I'm, I, I'm, I deal with a lot of things in relation to road safety and just in terms of putting in place you know, extra grip on certain sections yeah. of road and things like that. People come to us all the time where there's a lot of accidents. Um, there is a, there is a lot of speeding. Like, it's funny, you get a licence, uh, you get a licence uh, at a time in your life when you're relatively young and that same licence is with you when you're quite elderly as well. And I, I drove recently on a motorway in a very wet night and sprays off lorries and I, t- you know what, I had to really watch what yeah, I was doing. Yeah. So it isn't just young people either that are, you know, immature drivers or whatever. I think there's, I think there's a whole, it, it, be, it behoves us all to look at. Of course, at, but, at, the, but the stats, the stats are there. Right? They are. It's largely they are. young people that are dying. But I, yeah, I, absolutely. But yeah. I, I think, I think the other thing as well is our dri- the driving that we are taught is at a very low level. I mean, when you're t- when you do your driving test, there's n- you're never told how to deal with skids. Well, you're not on the motorway. Yeah, but all, yeah, but you're not how to deal with. That. No. I mean, if you do have a skid, what do people do? I mean, they panic. I mean, hit the, the brakes and that. They yeah. You know, but I mean, you got to you got to go you know to a karting track to figure yeah. out how to deal with skidding. Yeah. So I mean, I think maybe things like there might be advantages in saying having advanced driving tests or sorry ad- ad- advanced driving courses that you can do to learn certain things that may then be able to help you with your insurance. Mm. Yeah. So if you can go and do a say, like. I do a, a special test to, to or a special course to, to deal in wet conditions on slippery roads right. or icy conditions. I mean, the number of people I mean who I have seen driving in icy conditions, outrageously. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and you're kind of going, lads, do you realise this is black ice? Yeah. Mm. So I think 
or, or don't know how to deal with driving in snow or don't know how to deal with the floods like we just had, you know. So you think so, if they took those courses and that was reflected in the in, premium in then? In premium, yes. because surely yeah. if you've done a lot of courses, if you like anything, if I've learned more about doing something, well then surely I'm, I'm, a, I'm a less right. of a risk and, and, things like, and, and that should, should reflect in your that. insurance. Alright, let me take a break. We're back with our panel in just a moment. It's 11.42. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. And welcome back to our Friday panel. And uh, the panel made up of Kate Satuig, Mark Small is with us, and uh, Councillor John Fitzgerald as well. Another devastating gun crime in America this week. Uh, about 18 people killed, over 60 injured in that mass shooting in Maine. So we're wondering again, yet again, uh, will the US wake up to the fact that they have a serious problem with uh, guns? John, do you want to take that first of all? I mean, the need, uh, why? why? It's hard to understand, Fran, because uh, when is the penny going to drop with them in the United States? Does it take an absolute carnage fest for them to realise that... There's a mentally ill man that had access to an automatic weapon. Absolutely. Terrible. And this is... There's not a year goes by, but you see this coming out of the United States, in different states of the United States. And it's... uh, it seems to be often fellows that can really handle a gun. Ex, you know, sometimes, sometimes, not always, ex-military guys and so on. And somebody with a gripe, somebody... With, but it's so easy to access, uh, yeah. to purchase a gun in America. America's a funny country, you know. It's a, it's a country of extremes. Um, you know, it has a lot of extreme states for one reason or another, whether it be religious or whatever. Um and this is a this is yes. a thing I can't understand. But the Americans will always want to retain their gun, and I hear that especially from the most extreme. Well, it's in their constitution, and that's what they point to the right to bear yeah, arms. So, the, yeah, especially in the Republican, yeah. I think, yeah. way of thinking, America Tea Party kind of yes. people that. But well, the Rifle Association is so powerful, of course. Very, and it's very hard. To, you know, I, I know there's reasonable thought process in the United States as well about this, but they don't seem to be getting a grip on it, and it's it's frightening. It's it's an internal violent uh, train that's continuing in in the United States of America and for some reason or another they haven't grappled with it and it's something, you know, in a country like Ireland which I think, you know I know we have incidents but we're we're a safe country uh, from that point of view and I think that uh, it it, it really does make us look as if we're far more civilised in Mm. that regard Uh, and and most European countries are in that way Um, it's it's unusual, it's very hard one to understand for us. One of the Contributors to National Radio, Kate, um, I couldn't get over this, said, was it yesterday or the day before? I can't remember. Uh, but said, this is a relatively safe area. There were only 29 murders this year, you know. Oh, like, it's unbelievable. It's, like, uh, as much as it's it's a terrible thing that's, that's occurring so often in America, it's actually lost its shock factor. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens so frequently that it's just another piece in the yeah. news. You know, even this piece that we were talking about, I didn't read into it that in-depthly until coming on um, today because it was just another one in a series of them that are happening Almost that's that's interesting. Stage, so yeah. yeah, it just becomes background. But, but of course, I think it really has. Yeah, eighteen people dead, sixty people in. How many people traumatized mm. by that? Absolutely. And, you know. and like it's it's 
it's just part of their culture, you know. It's not even just a trend or a phase that's going through. Just like since it was founded, you know, it's part of their culture, and it, it seems that most people um, associate gun ownership with safety, where in fact the, their own personal their safety. own personal yeah. safety, where yeah. in fact the yeah. statistics are showing that you're more likely to be harmed um, by gun violence if there's one in the house. You know? Yeah. The, the, Constitu- the American Constitution on this, that right to bear arms, they point to that all the time. But of course, that was of its time, I suppose, Mark. Yeah, but know? it's a right to bear arms of a militia. Yes. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I mean, they, they, can, they, they, they kind of forget. I mean, again, the Supreme Court has, yes. in America, has interpreted that as mean anyone can do it. But I mean, the, the Constitution would be written based on a militia, which which would be then the militia at the times of the constitution would have been the localised, um, you know, the equivalent of RFCA mm. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it would have been the, a, lo- a localised group of people to protect a certain area banding together as a militia. You know, right. it's not an individual but in their house. But it didn't envision uh, somebody like this gentleman having an automatic weapon for his own personal but yeah, use. But, I mean, you know. but there's no limitation on what you can buy. Mm, I mean, I know. you know, I mean, like, they have these AR-15s, which is basically kind of a, it's a 22 mm. type. That's I think what he a, had it. Think, yeah, I mean, yeah. but I mean, they have them now with with you know fully automatic with with um, you know uh, shoulder ho- shoulder supported and um, extra sized magazines with quick with quick changeover. You're kind of going, mm. even describing that that mm. does sound like a why, military. Why weapon. would you want? To, I'm going to go shoot a couple of rabbits. Like you know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But I think America and is in denial because you know you look at American news um, and. You know, they they're kind of oh, but you know this is common across the world. You're kind of going well, no, it's not actually because I mean, look at what happened in in Australia. They had a mass shooting and and they just got rid of they got rid of mm. thing. New Zealand had the same. They had a mass shooting, they got rid of it. It happened in England. There was a mass shooting up in mm. Scotland. Got rid of the guns. Mm. In, in Ireland, you know, we haven't in my any particular mass shooting. That, okay, that that has been an individual apart from the maybe mm. uh, during the troubles and stuff like that. But in actual individual going mm. out and things. There's basically no restrictions. I mean, I mean, I thought it was absolutely mad. I mean, I, I've been over in America a couple of times, and and then one evening we we I was at at a at a thing, and we, they decided we you know what we do is we go down the local gun shop and and we take take a couple of guns out for a spin. It's entertainment. And I mean, yeah, you go down you go down into the alley below the gun shop, and it was in Fort Lauderdale, and and I mean they said, well, would you like? And I said, geez, I'd always like an Uzi. And said, yeah, here you go, and you pay per bullet shot, and it's bonkers, you know. And but I mean. The fact that you can buy it so easily, mm. there's no restrictions on it. There's no, there's no time delay. Well, it's such in it. a political um, football is, as but well. It, but see, in America, you know? I think everything has is everything. No matter what it is, is a political Democrat, Republican, you know, Trump, non-Trump. It it mm. is purely that way. And I mean, like the NRA constant mantra is, you know, guns don't kill people. Yeah. People, people do, and you're kind of going, yeah. yeah, but the person has the gun. So you know, if you can't do one, you've got to restrict the other. Of course, indeed. Before before we wrap up, can we talk? about Halloween uh, this uh, weekend. Kate, are you a Halloween person? Do you? Halloween's my favourite time of year. Is it? <laughs> yeah, like, Halloween is my Christmas. Right. I absolutely love Why? Halloween. You're I'm not just, a witch, are you? I am, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this time of year. Um, but no, I just had... I have such fond memories. Like, I was Halloweening in the 90s and we just used to have great crack. Like The old traditional stuff. Yeah, the, it, like yeah. throwing a plastic bag on and just calling yourself, like, if you're wearing a plastic bag, you could be anything from a goblin to a witch to a monster <laughs> to a vampire, you know? And you might get, like, one thing to identify you as that witch or vampire, yeah. you know? Like, you might have fangs along with the plastic bag. And or did you, you play the, 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 the Apple games and yeah. all of that? Oh, oh we did, you, yeah. yeah. So the community hall in Kilcash is a great place to grow up. Um, we used to have uh, a Halloween party for the kids 
kids every year. Like you can't really go trick or treating around the mountain because there isn't a lot of street lighting and all of that. Right. So we didn't really do that growing up. But we had bobbin for apples. We had the old mm. traditional games, which you know, like there was soil in one um, plate. There was water in another, a wedding ring in another, and you blindfold, you were blindfolded and had to place your hands down onto a plate and it would predict your fortune. So I've you were either going to die within the year, you are either going to get married within the year, or I don't know what the water one, I think it was travelling overseas maybe. But um, very traditional games. That must be a, a Kilkash variation. <laughs> I think we had fairly good Halloween. Very good indeed. John, are you a, are you a Halloween yeah, person? I'd love to have my fortune told because I'm kind of anxious <laughs> being a politician in a, in a, in a ten months. <laughs> Uh, uh, we get no I, I do I do like it I'm a, I'm a father of three children they're not all that children-y anymore but they're you know and I do partake in it we've if you pass my entrance our house at the moment it's full of cut, a, cut yeah. out pumpkins and Already? with lights inside yeah, yeah. yeah. all that's done and dusted we, we, they do get into the spirit of it they're gone off to school two of them this morning dressed up one is a peaky blinder and I don't know what the other girl there was but uh, yeah we do we do get into the spirit of it we do like the seasons uh, as a family I, we definitely do and I do have memories of it as a, a young uh, and, as a and young do you person. still play the traditional games with them or are they no I don't no. think we do snap apple yeah. and those kind of things yeah, yeah. I, that, I think that's kind of Changed. I think I I see that that has moved on. Definitely, yeah. but sure, that was from a simple time. Some people told us during the week that they were reverting back to the. Are you? Are you? No, you're not a Halloween type. <laughs> are you, Mark? Well, no. Not I mean, you, I know you, you're scary here from time to time on the panel. <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I don't. Not not really. Uh, we've no kids, so therefore the, the, we wouldn't have had carried it on. And, and there's only a kind of a small grouping where I live, so there wouldn't have been a huge amount of trick or treating mm. now. And they've all, all everyone's grown up, so mm. there's, there's none of none of that anymore. Um, but I mean, I've always loved. I mean, when I was a kid, yes. Mm. I mean, when I was a kid, yeah, we did the, you know, the, the face in the in the in the trying to get the apple out and all the kind of different little things. Never heard of. Never we had the barn brack as well, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing it, but I ne- never heard of the, of the t- telling your fortune with the plates. I've never heard of that either. Yeah. That's, but, uh, maybe it was specific to Kilcash yeah. School. Yeah. But we'd the go over to my gra- my granny's. You know, we go over to them, and they they would kind of always, you know. the things left out and you go find stuff and you'd find That's the scary right. bits and what, what are you making of Dunn's stores not having the ring in the barn rack uh, anymore because of uh, look, health I mean, and safety uh, I mean look and health and safety I mean health and safety has gone f- I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, everything is health and safety. But there's two things, that, two things that seem to happen in this world. It's either GDPR or health and safety. <laughs> yeah. And that stops us from having any fun whatsoever yeah. ever, ever again. Yeah. But like, really, but I mean, I think, I, I think, it, look, you're bound to have, the uh, Irish culture seems to be is that if something happens, it's not my responsibility, it's someone else's, so therefore I'll sue. And I think this is a function of what happens out of it, in that someone would swallow yes. the and that's ring. The, that's and, the great fear. Yeah, someone yeah. will swallow the ring and next thing they sue on stores, yeah. so they're going, right, we're not going to have it. And I, I, it's an awful shame. I mean, it really is. Um, you know, we don't have responsibility that we can do it ourselves. Like, you know, or someone wearing the plastic bag and it goes on fire. No, you sue. Like, you can't have that either. Like, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I look, I think we just have to have more responsibility. But I, I mean, it, yeah. it's a great time of year. Like, I, I, I like watching the, I like watching other horror films. I mean, yeah. you know, that's that's my. I like, oh, I love it. Good, mask, a good exercise. What mask are you wearing yourself, friend? <laughs> the one I wear every day, John. The one I wear every day. Okay. Well, listen, you were a terrific panel, and thanks very much indeed to John and Kate and uh, Mark. Absolutely fantastic. One of our listeners says, uh, treat
Patrice, she said, I think the penny has dropped in the US, but they chose the arms industry over life and who is funding the wars all over the world. We do have a winner of those Louise Morrissey tickets. It's going to Catherine McGrath from Grange <coughs> Mokler. Well done to you, Catherine. And that gig is happening at the Talbot Hotel uh, this night week, the 3rd of November. We wish Louise well where that is concerned. That's it for me. Ali produced. Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel. And I will talk to you on Tuesday. Enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs> Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. We all want.